Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Reveille, reveille, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, it's Monday. It's the day after the Super Bowl. It's two days after UFC 284, and it's three days after our very... Well, actually, no, it was on Wednesday, so it's almost like a week later. I don't even know what the math is anymore. I can't even think right. Hello, everyone. It's morning combat. Definitely was UFC 284 two days ago. I can say that for sure. Uh, hi, my name is Luke Thomas. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos. We are back in Washington, D.C., and uh, joined by my... I mean, this mf took eight years off his life. With the travel schedule he kept up over the weekend. But he did it. It's my friend and yours, Brian Campbell. BC, Look, you, are you alive and kicking? Uh, uh, barely. Do you think they asked Diego Corrales after that spectacular 2005 comfort behind victory over Jose Luis Castillo in the first meeting? You know, how much do you think this takes off the end of your career, Luke? Okay, maybe that's the wrong person to reference. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I don't think you your, your achievement is quite as triumphant as that one. Okay, okay, but no, you know, I, I, I live for today in the moment, and uh, what a week, what a time, happy to be back on U.S. ground here, Luke, but I don't think, you know, uh, I have to say much because you saw the joy on the ground with me in London, MK in the U.K., my people, I mean, I'm not cultured, Luke, I don't get around, you know these things about me, right, ask ask my high school girlfriends, but uh, wow, the love we received, I can't wait to come back with the family, like... I was touched. They touched me, Luke. I was touched in the UK. Okay. Appy right. was there. Appy was there. Yeah. <laughs> Who I'm told may have taken a drunk nap in the middle of the show. I can neither confirm nor deny this, but I definitely heard this. Uh, we met the uh, the Paquettes. They were lovely. It was a lot of good times. So let, let, let's, let's sort of set the stage for the show today. UFC 284 recap. We'll talk a little bit of Vargas uh, Foster as well. We've got DMs. Luke, We've got Happy Senior Luke, shit. I want to jump in and interrupt you just to say this, because you talked about my crazy schedule travel-wise. Well, you did Saturday calling, four, was it four undercard fights in a two-and-a-half-hour pregame show solo? Yeah. And then yeah. and then doing a post-morning combat major pay-per-view instant analysis in a separate sport? Yeah. Bro. Uh, there, there ain't there ain't too many people on this planet. What what did what did uh, Joe Rogan say that time? Look, there's only about a thousand of us comedians in this world. There ain't many people on this planet that could have pulled that off on Saturday. What you did right there? Yeah, right? thanks. It wasn't it wasn't quite like your schedule, which was I, I remember I got I got to my house and you were still at the airport. I was like, and you left four oh, hours. Oh yeah, 
That that hopper plane from Dallas to San Antonio that was delayed an additional three and a half hours. That was that was great. That was fantastic. <laughs> but you know that's what you pay for, Luke. Okay, that's, that's what, what you, you pay for. for. But yeah, Saturday was a challenge because I had to do that the prelims for the Vargas Foster card solo, which was not easy. Uh, and then we had to do the post fight show, which did really well. By the way, thanks to everyone who tuned in. If you're a new subscriber, by the way, thanks for tuning in. Let's set this up here just a little bit. Let's get through some of this. Showtime is the label that pays. Showtime.com, thirty day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. And of course. If you have Showtime, then you probably saw BC at the Vargas versus Foster fights to fill it in for the legendary Jim Gray. Did a great job there, as always. But it's Bellator. It's the whole Showtime experience. It's everything. And, of course, merch, BC. I guess they still have some London merch on the site. I'm not, I haven't double-checked. But morningcombat.store. People yeah, asked I, I, us, hey, why didn't you guys have merch there? We, we gave away some merch. BC gave away some merch. But we just couldn't work out with the folks in charge to get a merch table set up. Yeah, there was was some minor miscommunications. Originally, we were going to have a merch table. I tried to Oprah as much as I could out to the people that showed up. But uh, wow, Uh, you can still get merch. Still some UK stuff available that I didn't throw to the crowd for free. But, you know, Luke, we wanted to set a tone that if this is the first of many or just even a one off, we wanted to bang everybody in that building. And I hope we did at the end of the day. We definitely banged. BC, I have to say that Wednesday, you know me, I don't usually get nervous for stuff, uh, but I was nervous for that. Didn't know how it was going to go. You know, I've done live stuff, but I've never done, like, I mean, there was 400 people there. Like, it was a lot going on, um, 400 plus, really. And so I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. You know, you just never know. You never know. And it was, I'll say this, man, it was in terms of the professional side of my life. It was the best day of my life. It was the best day of my wow. life on the professional side of things. Wow. I really mean that. It was All so All right, that special. touches me to have been a part of that with you. And if you ask me on the same, you know, yeah, that's that's just about right up there, dude. I don't, I, off the top of my head, I don't know what I've done professionally that felt better than that moment right there. So uh, huge con- thank you to the, pe- to the 450 or so people in attendance there. We did officially sell out. I know there were some missing holes. People couldn't make it, whatever. But huge thank you to the sports podcast group for putting on Pod Live, to the people at King's, uh, King's Place for hosting us for... The people of the UK who gave us love. Luke, for for real quickly, for um the 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 hospitality showed us on Tuesday by our friends there, Jay and our and our friends Balium over there on uh, MMA on point. I mean, start to finish, just a dream of a trip. And thank you, of course, to Malka Showtime, CBS Sports for helping us get this off. Obviously, you guys are are wondering, like, where's the damn show? I thought we were promised this on Friday. That's the only regrettable part of this, Luke. Can you handle those details? Please? Yeah, the basic idea is that um, we are still waiting on footage, and it's not from the from us. We although we ha- we took our own footage, but we didn't take like a, a full footage of the entire show. It's more like a roving cam. You saw Jake von Amsterdam there if you were in attendance. He, so we have some of that footage. We have the audio. There's just a delay in getting some of the footage. We're trying to get that up. So we're trying to get that show to you guys. As soon as possible. I don't want to give you a nonsense timeline that we can't stick to. Obviously, the instant we can get it to you, we will. Um, but we do have a recording. We have audio recording. We, you're you're going to get it. Um, just have to be a little bit more patient. We apologize. We did not anticipate this. But, you know, things happen. So Yeah, and, we're just and I know you're saying, oh, that's MK, technical difficulty. Well, true. But but here's the, here's the thing that's going to make you feel better. I don't like that we put it out after we're going to put it out after the fact you're going to miss Dan Hardy's incredible 284 preview in real time but here's the deal folks the wor- the editing work that they're going to do on it this week to make it perfect will make it worth it and yeah. uh we're very proud of the show we hope you enjoy it once it comes out so thanks for putting up with a little bit more of a delay but here we are Monday morning 284 in the books 
We're bringing it. We got some great, and I mean great, room service diaries, interviews in the can that we're going to be slowly working into the to the schedule that I think you're going to enjoy a lot. So what a time. I mean, look, you said one of the greatest nights of our career. I mean, you know, when you can walk out in front of paying customers who want to be there, they want to hear your shitty material. Right. Right. And they'll boo or cheer everything you say. It does. I mean, can we have more fun? No, that's about as fun as it gets. So whether that's the beginning of more, whether that's the greatest thing we ever do, I'm humbled. Thank you. You'll see that this week. Um, I mean, look, you got to meet Appy in person and he was like, you know, that saying three sheets to the wind. He had all the sheets and all the beds in London to the wind. And he had the MK underwear on the outside of his pants with the picture of your face on his a-hole. Your thoughts to meeting Appy. I'll tell you this much about the Brits. I already knew this, but I, you get reminded every time you go. And of course, you know, there were, there was Irish there. There were Welsh. There were, there was everyone. There was, there was a dude from Mexico there. I mean, there was a lot of different kinds of people. Are you there, talking about Arturo? About You're talking about Arturo, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Brits, dude, they don't give a fuck about their health. <laughs> like, they don't give a shit. They smoke way more than Americans, which I was very surprised by. And dude, the amount of boozing that you British donks do is out of control. You know that shit's bad for you, right? They don't give a fuck, dude. They don't care yeah. at all. They were busy drinking from 10 a.m. And I got to say, BC, there was one. Do I do I spoil the story of the dude who got on stage? You know what oh, I'm so talking mean, about? For the, you mean for the Stevie Don, my boy, my boy, Stevie yeah. Don. Yeah. Do you want to tell the folks what happened there? Because I told my wife and she couldn't stop laughing at the well, at me at the situation. But it was funny. Well, look, what Luke is largely referring to here is that, like, you know, people make fun of me for having a bad liver or Luke because he almost died at the Bellator hospital that night. That's one vice we have. These people have like 17 open vices. I, I, I took part in their gas station food culture. I know what they're dealing with over there. But good old Stevie Don ended up coming up on stage, Luke. And I had a little bit of a backstory in terms of him and his boy Gav weren't going to be able to come to the show, but they DM me. They were like, oh, we're definitely going to be there last minute. Our boy Stevie Don, God, I mean, I mean, you know, what was your drunkest night ever? This was a Wednesday for our boy right there, and he stumbled <laughs> up on stage, Luke. Uh, afterwards, he he got into our receiving line and, and had a moment with you. I sent you the picture somebody took. So basically, Steve, I wish we had that picture right now. Stevie Don's like probably exposing to you like his long lost you know histories no. and theories he about got MMA. in front of me he got in front of me in front of everybody else this is afterwards in the receiving line and he's like i gotta ask you a question i'm like okay shoot and he can't get it out he's so drunk he can't even enunciate yeah. a sense he's like are you there i'm like so he- what are you saying so he balked in the moment. He couldn't. He couldn't even. He couldn't even release the pitch. But he told me the next day over DMs while drinking at 10 a.m. Shout out to you on a Thursday, there, Stevie Don. And he was like, "I meant to tell Luke that I was his biggest fan. I ran into him in Vegas at Habib versus Connor. I was so excited to come up to him, and he totally was disrespectful and jerky and blew me off. That's what he was going to tell you in the moment, Luke. But his yeah, I don't. I don't believe that. I don't believe. Do I don't do that to people unless I was in a rush somewhere and running then yeah, I can't stop and say hi, but I normally never do that. Anyway, I'd just like to point out, he came to try and stick it to me. He had a wide open, like like a total free throw to take <laughs> and just bricked it the whole way through. Yeah, so I was like, sorry, great. dude, that was your shot. But okay, man, it was, um, it, was, it was a magical, magical night. So thanks to Pod Live. Thanks to all the fans. Thanks to everyone who was there. And for everyone who hasn't seen it yet, as we said, don't worry, it's coming and it's going to be worth the wait. It really see, will. We gotta it get really the show will. And by the way, Dan Hardy was a 10 out of a 10 oh. as a guest. I mean, thank you, Dan Hardy, for joining us. He was hilarious. Uh, 
I mean, it was, you know, we met his wonderful wife who's got a big fight coming up. I mean, what a, you know, what a what a night, Luke, okay? Saw his yeah. boy, Saul, what a night of of pure, that's the thing. You made fun of me on stage. You're like, you really like the people in the UK? Here's what I like about this at the end of the day, okay? You know what London really is? You know, swing in London, it's swanky, it's all this stuff. No, it's a bougie factory town and all you people there freaking know it. And I love it, Luke. Everybody there wears on their chest, on their sleeve, exactly who they are vices flaws moles or not they're like this is us deal with it that's what i'm talking about luke in this pretentious usa culture where no one talks to each other and no one can be bothered those people are like bring it brother okay we brought it we, we absolutely yeah. brought it this was my fourth maybe fifth but definitely my fourth trip to the uk and by far the best one by far the best one best one i've ever had didn't get to see the sights very much but um yeah, that's the best experience I've had in England ever. So thank you to everyone. What a magical night. All right, BC, we do have to tell everyone about our next partner. And it's a product that you, I know for a fact, use every day. I use most days. And I started taking athletic greens because I want better gut health, more energy. And I'm not taking a bunch of pills and vitamins, Brian Campbell. Well, you know, there's a lot of questions out there. Have you really been taking it given your recent health? And, you know, I just had an incredible. Hey, I'm fine. I traveled internationally. I'm fine. I just had an incredible seven-day banger across multiple continents, and guess what? Not sick, still standing here, brought the travel packs every day, still rocking out AG1. Not two, not three, right? Not 1.7, not the 13th best drink in the game. AG number one. Why? Because, Luke, I don't always eat the right way. And in England, I went ham on their ham, if you know what I mean, okay? But I had AG1 every day to fill in the, the, the blanks, fill in the pieces, and start my day with a foundation with a smooth, healthy citrus taste. And I know all those ingredients are filling me up in good ways that my diet doesn't allow. So is this BC getting the old uh, Cliff's Notes for A Tale of Two Cities like he did sophomore year? You're damn right, Luke. Okay, there it is. Yeah, we're talking 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens. Start your day right, BC. All the good stuff. It's like having a, a a friend who can really fight and you know you can run your mouth a little bit at the bar, Luke. That's what like drinking Athletic Greens is like. I don't think it's quite like that, but it is lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or anything art, uh, artificial, still tasting good, BC. And, you know, you're like, okay, I'll hear it from you two wash guys, or you can hear it from the 7,000 people who have gone uh, on the internet, gave a five-star review to Athletic Greens, and we're talking about leading medical experts too, Michael Gervais, okay? We're talking about people like that, Luke. What's the other donk's name? We're talking about Tim real... Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, okay, Joe Rogan. We're talking about the real ones. Uh, right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. One scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And if you go to athleticgreens.com slash morning combat, all right, make sure that athleticgreens.com slash morning combat right now for your first order. Our folks at our friends here at AG1 are going to throw in one year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D drops and those five free travel packs, which, Luke, I now purchase AG1 in travel pack form only because I'm so busy on the road. And uh, you can get yours, too, right now with your first order. Join the club, okay? There we have it. All right. With that in mind, BC, let's get to the top five. We start with UFC 284. Before I throw it to the first topic, though, let me just ask a quicker question, if I can. Everyone after the main event was like, oh my God, that's the best fight I've ever seen. And I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. I love the fight. I thought it was great. 
I didn't think it was like transcendentally great. I thought it was. It sounds like I'm bagging on it. I am not bagging on it. It was a great, not merely good, a great fight, but not an oh my god great fight. How did you feel about it, just from an experiential standpoint? It was a great freaking fight. I understand though what you're trying to say. What elevated this to be a great fight when the actual fight itself was great, but not you know, slam dunk fight of the year, in my opinion, and I'm sensing from yours, was the crowd was a, you know, 35 out of a 10 on that scale in terms of excitement, in terms of willing on their hometown boy, Volkanovsky, your home country. You get the point. And I think it was the combination of, you know, let, let's say who these two are right now. The two best fighters in the sport today. That proved it Saturday night. Regardless of who you thought won, anything, that proved it. The two best fighters <laughs> in the sport came out and fought an exciting, at times, fast-paced fight, but never stepped down on the level of technique, game planning, and just super top-level elite adjusting and all of that. So, Luke, I think that's why it had excitement. It had the late rally in the fifth round from Volkanovski. It had a crazy crowd. It had a disputed decision. It was a great fight. Is it in my top five of all time? Great. No, no, no. Will it win fight of the year this year? I don't. I would guess Maybe. no. But was it a great fight? Yeah, yeah I thought I thought all things considered, that's a, that's elite mixed martial arts, and that's about as good as it gets right there. And yeah. I loved it. All I right? think that's right. I think it's elite mixed martial arts, number one versus number two. It was fantastic. There's nothing wrong with it. But I get the feeling that one, the crowd definitely made it better than it. Not that it, it was bad, but you know, really elevated it. And the other part too, BC, and this is where we'll get to the first question. The other part, too, is that I feel like a lot of people didn't think Volkanovsky would look as good as he did. And it right. him looking as good as it, he did was not a surprise to you or I. I think we both expected it. The thing that surprised me was Islam striking. So let's get into question number one, BC. Overarching, most important. How did you score it? Biggest takeaway from the fight. Um, Look, I, you know, I'm never afraid to give a differing opinion. I heard the full opinions of everybody before I watched this. I watched this this morning. I was working at the Showtime cover on Saturday that we talked about. I watched it this morning, but to my credit, after hearing Dom Cruz and you chastise my lack of video watching, I watched the key swing rounds up to three times each, took notes. I understand that when you're watching at home in the moment and then you tweet out, or even if you're a Judge Cage side, you don't get to rewatch. You don't get to chart all these stats. You don't get to do that. But after really taking into account the situation... I think the real debate coming out of this fight is something we're going to talk about a little bit in a few minutes in terms of who's the pound for pound king. I After this, I don't think there's a debate, in my opinion, as to who won this fight. It was actually somewhat clean and clear to me. I scored it four rounds to one for, for Islam Mahachev. Upon rewatching, I could certainly be talked into the idea of three rounds to two. And boy, do I like if you ask me who won this fight. Something Max Kellerman used to say in his HBO days. He'd say, who won the story of the fight? Meaning, the not, not the decision. Who won the story of this fight? This was Alex Volkanovsky's night. He won the story of this fight. You said that you and I weren't surprised. I know you weren't. Because along with CBS Sports' Brandon Wise, in terms of people in my ear, you've been day one on the idea that Volkanovsky is great. Luke, he's, he is all-time freaking great. He won the story of this fight, in my opinion, by just fighting at a level of... Confidence, toughness, skill, adaptability, uh, physicality in the takedown defense, a motor that is just award-winning, and then, oh, by the way, he finished the fight beating up the bigger man. So he won the story of this night. He won all of those good feelings, and we'll get to the pound-for-pound debate in a second. 
But as to who won this fight, I saw a lot of people villainizing that third scorecard that was four rounds to one. Luke, I think that's actually a better score than the idea of could Volkanovsky had, have won this fight three rounds to two. Anybody that had that score, I'm not against you. I'm just saying that I've rewatched this. I actually called up the rules of the judging. I mean, I went ham on this, Luke, and I think at the end of the day, you, you kind of said it subtly there. As much as Volkanovsky stole the night, Islam Mahachev's striking and his ability to fight largely on even terms with a guy in Volkanovsky who might literally be along with like Adesanya and maybe Anderson Silva, like the greatest strikers this sport has ever produced. He fought at a pretty even level, Islam Achev. And that to me, Luke, when I look at who actually won some of these close potential swing rounds, I can't go in the other direction of Volkanovski. I gave him round five like everyone else. I understand that round three has largely become a swing-ish round in which I charted it out and went back. And I know that in the moment, not everybody has that chance. But unless you're counting that knockdown in round three by Volkanovski, which I feel was more of a slip slash trip in which Volkanovski popped back up, I just don't see where you can give Volkanovski that round. He did not outstrike him in terms of overall, although there was a stat on the screen at a key time, Luke, that said Volkanovski had an advantage of 11 strikes to 10 in significant strikes. Sometimes I feel like we have to re-examine exactly what is a significant strike. What is the process of doing this? Whether we're talking about boxing or MMA, and that's not a shout out like CompuBox, who are the, you know, in boxing, the industry leaders in doing this. Just the idea that stuff's happening so fast. How can you gauge? Because there's a sequence around three, Luke, where Volkanovsky has Mahachev up against the clinch, against the cage, and he's landing these sort of, you know, quick, uh, short punches that are sort of just looking to embellish his role in that round. Do you rate three or four quick punches on the same level as a left cross from Mahachev that was big in that one that kind of wobbled him? Or the fact that Mahachev cut Volkanovsky in round three? To me, that's the closest one where you're heavily debating. And I still, on first and third watch of that, gave it to, to Mahachev. So unless there's an argument for a 10-8 round, which there I don't think there is in round five, this was a hell of a performance from Volkanovsky. Again, the fresher fighter late had the biggest moments late. But we don't score... We don't score fights that way we scored for better or worse under the 10-9 must boxing system and under that system even if you're trying to make cases in round four that Volkanov that um, that Mahachev wasn't active enough after taking Volkanovsky's back you're right but read the letter of the law with the rules chart out all the striking in there at the end of the day three to two or four to one this was Islam Mahachev's night well, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, curiously, round four with the back taking. It's one thing I didn't say on the post-fight show that I want to say now. I saw a lot of folks being like, well, he, you know, um, Volkanovsky outstruck Islam even though he had his back taken. And you can just park that shit somewhere else, please. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Just the, what, what, a, what a total nonsense argument. Did he numerically land more than Islam landed more? I guess maybe I think by two he did. Those are nothing strikes. They don't in any way affect the fight. I mean, that's just a nonsense fucking stupid argument. Here's what I will agree halfway. Islam did stall on the back a little bit. He did. And it's actually a little bit of a wrinkle in the rules that they haven't quite ironed out yet, BC. What I mean by that is, like, did Islam stall on the back with the body triangle? Yes. Should that count against him? No. And the reason why is because it's the referee's job to stop stalling. That is the person who is basically in charge of mandating when stalling is happening to intervene, and he didn't. And he didn't because having the back with a body triangle and a skilled operator like Islam Makachev on your back, that is, a, that is the equivalent in chess of check. 
It's not checkmate, yeah. but it's definitely check. And so all, all I'm pointing out is if you're upset that he didn't do a lot with the position, what I want to say is getting it and holding it is, and as long as he did three and a half minutes, certainly more enough, long enough to win the round. And if you're upset that he stalled, fine, but we need to empower referees to change right. that. It's not Islam's job to just get up off of him. Yeah, here's what I'll say to that. Even if you gave round four to Volkanovsky because of the point Luke just mentioned, which I'm on Luke's side of the line in terms of interpreting that, to me, Volkanovsky still doesn't win the fight. But if if that fight was a swing for you, I mean, it does come down to the old, like, who would you rather be in that instance? Do I want to be the guy with the body triangle, having the back of the other opponent, having a history of, of patience, of submission ability, and essentially just he's just waiting. Mahachev is just waiting for Volkanovsky to overcommit on his, you know, trying to land these strikes over his head to show the referee, look, rightfully so, I, I'm the instigator in this, even though I'm in a negative position. Look, Mahachev is waiting there to try to wait for that one mistake to end the fight. I think that, you know, even if you're saying that that's a push at the end of the day, that that Volkanovsky's punches over his shoulder could somehow equal the control, and I get what you're saying, it is up to the referee at some point to say nothing's happening here, stand up. I still say over the course of that fourth round that I slightly liked what Mahachev did better and he scored a takedown, and he instantly went to back and established the threat of the choke. At some time, you have to look at the letter of the law, and I always shout out Dave the Inquisitive at DaveTron on Twitter for finally opening me up to this with certain things. But Luke, you know, after damage, which is always going to be the first thing, striking damage, right? And in, in, in Mahachev's bruises on his face and stuff didn't happen until round five. You have to look at the impact and what that did in terms of changing someone's game plan, frustrating someone, tiring somebody out. I'm not saying Mahachev's attempts at tiring out Volkanovsky worked. It didn't. But he's applying all these things. And unless Volkanovsky outstruck him in a manner to me that's, that's you know, eye-opening, I can't give him that round. That's me personally interpreting the rules. You can have it your way. But Luke, would you agree with this? That 4-1 Mahachev might actually be a better scorecard than 3-2 Volkanovsky? I want to get your opinion directly on that point. So, okay, so I scored it rounds one and three and five, four for Islam. Rounds one, three, and four. I gave two and five to Volkanovsky. Five's the obvious one. No big deal. Four. How do you again, give not... two to him? I'm very curious about this because that was another round I rewatched a few so times. So here's you... where I disagree with some folks. People are saying three is the swing round. I agree that th three is a swing round. I think there's a case for Volkanovsky in round two as well. To me, round one, pretty much Islam's. Round four, pretty much Islam's. Round five, definitely Volkanovsky's. That was the strongest round anyone had in either direction, really. No doubt. No it's doubt. two and three to me is where it all kind of comes down to and how you get it. And this is the point. I saw people beating up one of the judges who had a 49-46, which is the same as your scorecard. That's not how I saw it. I saw it 3-2 Makachev, but I think a 3-2 Volkanovsky is totally fine because you're already spotting him round five, so he just needs two more. If you saw two and three as that way, that there's the math. And I don't think a two or th rounds two or three for Volkanovsky is a is in any way a bad card. It's just I, it was hard to discern in real time. You're making a real time call, a real time call. I thought Makachev did a little bit better in round three. I thought Volk did a little bit better in round two qualitatively, and that's where I came down on it. Um, I don't. Well, look, I don't, the difference I, I, I in round two. I, I anticipated this could be an argument that somebody would make, whether you or or, or someone else. The knockdown in round two that that Volkanovsky had and correct me if I'm getting my sequences wrong. Wasn't that more of, he did land a punch, but Mahachev almost forcefully took a knee to shoot the takedown. So I'm not doubting that the punch didn't land. It was fine. 
but then Mahachev sort of shoots in to try to to try to secure a takedown, and then rallies back in that round to drop Volkanovski. So to me, that was he dropped him to a knee with a clean shot. That's sort of the the moment, the indicator for me that Mahachev had edged him in terms of we're comparing strike to strike in that. Right, and also had almost I think a minute. I'm looking at the stats here. He had nearly a minute of control time, which again by itself doesn't score, but it gives you an indication of like the back control. I think he had. So how and are you scoring second for Alex is really my, my key question here. I have to go back and look at my notes. Um, okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look and see what he did. Uh, but in any case, what I would say to you is rounds two and three, I think are, again, these are numeric totals, not qualitative totals. But in rounds two, numerically, they were the same in significant strikes, 19 apiece. And in round three, ever so slightly into Makachev's favor, 16 to 14. Plus, he had a takedown in each of those rounds. And then and he, he cut about him. a minute and a half of... And, and he, he cut, cut the and forehead cut of, of Volkanovsky. So my point being is, like, I think Makachev is the rightful winner. And the one I want to make about your 49-46 scorecard, the reason why I don't think it's... It's not how I saw it, but the reason why I feel like that's okay is because, again, if we're saying one, four, and five are not in dispute, right? When we're talking about two and three, if we're saying it's close then what you're saying is, by definition, you can make a case for either guy. And if you can make a case for either guy, that means there's a series of permutations that are acceptable, one of which is rounds one, two, three, and four going to Makachev, rounds five going to Volkanovsky under the idea that, again, what are all the permutations? You could have it the two and three, not Volkanovsky, two, then three, th- uh, not at all for three and two, and then just for three. You can have all those different permutations while leaving one, four, and five the same. My point being is getting a 49-46 doesn't mean that the judge didn't think that Volkanovsky was really, really close at times, just that in that individual unit, he happened to side Yeah, that's with the scoring Makachev. system. It's a scoring system, and then you have to mix it with the actual letter of the law and the rules, and that's the strike zone we're in. This ain't pride. We can have a pride debate all you want. This isn't pride. Luke, I was, you know me. I get swayed by packaging. I'm more of the emotional responder who doesn't always use reason. Do you know when I responded emotionally in the past? Jones Gustafson won. I remember that ending and being like, man, I don't know if Jones really won that fight. GSP Johnny Hendricks. I remember reacting, damn, I don't think, you know, GSP really won that fight. I subsequently have gone back and rewatched those. And it's so, I think it was sort of the victim of the underdog overachieving and you overly scoring that. But when you go back and actually watch it and break it down obviously these are close fights it's subjective you can go either way on it but i'm trying to be less emotional in reaction to this and dude as great as volkanovsky was and as much as he won the night yes islam mahachev absolutely shut down roads that would have led volkanovsky to a massive breakthrough victory where we probably would have just come out with a crown and put it on his head and said i don't know where you fit in in that upper room but you just made it there brother thank you very much the Mahachev's ability, even with a gas tank against a guy who might have the best, seriously, might have the best damn gas tank this side of of Devalish Willie and Volkanovski, for him to hold that ground to prevent. I mean, Volkanovski almost took him down twice. To him, for him to stuff all these situations where it could have gone in the other direction, short of that fifth round rally, and that's what makes Volk great. Damn, dude, Mahachev is great. I mean, can we have this, that part of this conversation yeah, now? Yeah, we should, we should talk about that, dude. He outstruck the guy who outstruck Max Holloway. You don't want to play with math too much. But I got to tell you, again, I said it before, Volkanovski being strong from a defensive wrestling standpoint, that is not a surprise. It's just not. It should. If anyone paying attention should not be surprised, at least not too much by that. 
And again, I guess you could say Islam striking shouldn't be surprised given what we saw against Oliveira. And then you had uh, Javier Mendez trying to tell us, like, hello, this guy's a very good striker. And I was a little bit skeptical. And then I thought, well, he was good against Oliveira, but Oliveira was, like, jumping into range and his hands way down. And, like, yeah, he got picked apart, but, you know, that was a guy who was ready to be picked apart. Volkanovsky is not ready to be picked apart. And fucking uh, Makachev, I couldn't believe how much he shut down all of the southpaw or opposite stance stuff that Volkanovsky was trying to do all of the blitzes stance switching through blitzes taking an angle all of that stuff how about jab defense he was making Volkanovsky pay for poor jab defense dude the striking of Islam Makachev BC what would you say about it I don't know if there's a boxing comparison it's not flashy in the sense that you think of great strikers right who can do so much but it's about the most useful striking you're ever going to see. It's not Dude. a lot of combination work. Power's good accuracy, good. accuracy is good. And BC, perhaps most importantly, the timing is very is. good as well. I was going to say efficiency is probably the word that jumps out to me, but it's the timing that is the special sauce. Uh, you know, He does throw heavy shots. He's a strong striker in all that regard. But his ability to leap into almost, I mean, let's say it, I mean, an elite freaking striker. You know, Habib in his own regard, and obviously that's a natural comparison, got there in the end. on You know, unconventionally got to a point where his striking needed to be taken seriously, often though to set up what he does great on the ground. People have always said, though, when Islam was initially rising, he's different than Habib. He, did, he is. And look, his striking is at a point where, like you said, nothing flashy about it. But you, term, you talk about effectiveness. You talk about patience, poise. When is there a scenario in which Islam overreaches, makes a poor striking decision and pays for it? It just doesn't happen. The striking success Volkanovsky, Volkanovsky ultimately had is only a testament to his brilliance and his team and all those footwork patterns that he sets up to, to open up just enough space to land these perfect shots, which he did. Obviously, you package that with the fifth round, and we can't say enough about Volkanovsky's toughness and the real man under there. But man, Mahachev, for not having access during that long win streak to a consistent stretch of super elite guys... Got Dan Hooker at a key time where he needed to prove himself and then obviously got Charles and look what he did. Look what he's done back to back to Charles Oliveira and, 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 and Alexander Volkanovsky. Like some people had been DMing me this week and saying, BC heard your comments on the uh, whatever pregame preview. But Habib is purposely stepping back now so Islam can get the shine. If that's the case, Luke... This was perfect timing from the team so that we're not talking about Islam as much as Habib's boy because he is his own fighter and what he put out there and did on, on Saturday needs to be applauded. Yeah, I mean, he's a much better striker than Habib. Much, much better. He doesn't have the same dogged relentlessness with the wrestling that Habib did. Habib put a certain kind of urgent pace on you in a way that Islam is a little bit more slow and content to kind of take his time which you indicated so they're very different guys but i like the way that he was able to win this one on his own and um and uh to show the you know th that there is when pressed you know there are meaningful differences between their games and that they're, they're not just differences like in many ways this is a much stronger version of habib in, the, in some respects and and lighter in other ones bc uh, again we're going to have this pound for pound discussion which i think is a really important one bc did you walk away from this fight thinking that Islam's going to hold this 155-pound strap for a while? Where are you on how good he is relative to his peers, given that they, granted, it's the pound-for-pound pound number one guy to a lot of people in the sport, came up a weight class, um, and kind of had a really great show. And we're talking about how great Islam is, but we need to talk about how great um, 
Volkanovsky is too. Does that mean Dariush has a good chance against Makachev if they make that fight? I mean, he could. Look, Makachev's, you know, he's a man. He's not a robot here. But I had, short of that fifth, so when I'm rewatching it, knowing a lot of the knowledge, you know, the first time I rewatch it, just the way it turned out, by the time I got to the third and fourth rounds, that's actually something I said to myself. Like, as historically competitive as this lightweight division is, was, and will forever be, I did have a feeling in that moment, like, man, you know, he may he may go on his own run. Then Volkanovski has that type of success in round five, special circumstance against, you know, arguably the best fighter in the world. Could he could he just come out in the same and lose to any of these guys? Rematching Oliveira, Poirier. Yes, because these are great fighters, Luke, and great fighters can make great moments happen. And damn, are there so many ways to lose in the sport. But if you said BC, like betting your financial future, he defends this title three to four times or he loses his next fight. Yeah, I'm going with the defend three to four times, Luke, okay? Mm. Because the intangibles that he shows are through the roof great, and you're going to add that level striking to the wrestling that's already there. Look, I understand the emotional reaction after the fact to make this all about Volkanovsky, but hot damn, Islam Mahachev is great. He's freaking great. I don't know what it is, Luke. Do people do people just don't want to see another Dagestan hero? I don't know, Luke. Damn, this guy's great. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Makachev has ever really captured the fan base in the same way that uh, Habib did. Although I do think that after that Oliveira win, Makachev's popularity took a big jump. And I think after this one, too, I was surprised by some of the numbers coming out of this fight. There's a lot of interest in it. Credit to Volkanovsky as well, obviously. He plays a dramatic role in that one, too. But BC, I will tell you this. I you know, I think that Makachev's probably the, 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 the best fighter at 155, certainly. Um, but I will tell you that Benil Darius, now he might end up fighting Charles Oliveira at UFC 288, in which case, who cares about this conversation? But in the event that he finds himself faced off with Makachev, dude, I mean, I, did folks watch the Gamrot fight? Darius can wrestle his ass off. Is sure. very much a worthy adversary when it comes to Makachev for that. Plus, hello, the Darius guard from Jiu-Jitsu. He's been a black belt in Jiu-Jitsu since the aughts, ladies and gentlemen. He has a phenomenal submission game when he wants to go to it. Good ground and pound, experienced comes from a good camp, has phenomenal Muay Thai. And by the way, Makachev, which was something Vol- Volkanovsky showed, Volkanov- Volkanovsky was able to drop him in that fifth and then really put it on him. There's a question about the gas tank a little bit, at least in the elite circumstances, against guys. I don't know, dude. It's, who else, tell me right now, off the top well, of your brain, who has a who has cardio like what Volkanovsky showed on? Oh, who it's actually un- no. has that? I, I mean, him and, you know, like... Prime Kane Velazquez or something like that at sea level, at sea level. Yeah. Um, good, not good many call. guys. Good call. But this is good my call. point. Here's the other part about that, BC. Remember, Makachev got to ride out round four on the back. Now, he did the better of the striking through the first four rounds when they did the striking. So it's not to like on the feet he was outmatched, but he was fading a little bit. So the question you have to ask yourself is, if Makachev wasn't able to get that breather in the fourth round, how much energy does he really have for a fifth? Like, imagine he actually had to trade a little bit. And again, he put a landed on Volkanovski too. I'm just pointing out, he headed into that fifth already kind of tired, having backpacked from the fourth. But the point I wanted to make was, I think Darius is being comically, comically slept on here. We don't know what the future holds, and Makachev is a class above many of the others. But Darius might be right along there as well. It's a fun little fight that they can make. Now... BC, we have given all the flowers to Islam that I think we can, at least for the moment. Let's go to point number two, which is where the Volkanovsky side of the equation happens to enter the conversation. Namely, and this is the only question I'm going to ask to start this. Brian Campbell, who is the number one pound-for-pound fighter 
today in mixed martial arts? Alexander Volkanovsky. Right, and I think, I think it's, you know, you can make a debate either way. I've debated it all morning. But at the end of the day, this is, so we saw something somewhat similar in boxing recently. When Canelo was everyone's pound for pound, he dared to be great. A, another division higher against unbeaten champion Dimitri Bivol. He came out on the losing end of three scorecards that were seven rounds to five. You and I had it wider for Bivol, but I'm just stating the facts. And I think I was one of the only, if not the only, at least American journalist who does a pound for pound top 10 that said, hey, folks, I'm not going to count that against Canelo because he's competitive in a division over his head against one of the 10 best fighters in the sport. And if they ran it back, you know, I'm not even, I mean, you know, Canelo could potentially make adjustments and win. In this case, Luke, I think it's even more respectable what Volkanovsky did compared to Canelo because he fought another guy who has the same argument and claim right now. Who is number one pound for pound? Look, folks, it's either Volkanovsky or it's Mahajev. I will say this. I wanted romantically to, to for this fight to be as a storyline lead in what it ultimately became. One versus two pound for pound. And we were all like, you know, when was the last time that happened? What's the history? Oh, my God. It only really became that because the UFC, I felt, jumped the gun through Mahachev at number two pound for pound to make it that way. I even felt that I jumped the gun after Mahachev beat Oliveira and was previously unranked in my top 10. And I think I put him up there at number four because I'm like, damn, dude, he just dominated one of the best in the world. But what Volkanovsky showed in a losing effort, particularly in the areas of takedown defense and how he defended potential chokes on the ground, mixed with the fact that he almost scored two takedowns of his own and dropped the bigger fighter and had the better cardio and scored the biggest moments of the fight. Although, reminder, folks, we don't score it that way. Okay, this, like that's just what the rules are. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky is still the pound for pound king because of like I saw you tweeting about criteria, and I'm sure you're going to get that, to that in a, in a second. And yes. In a boxing sense, where I come from, the criteria that elite journalists use to make these pound-for-pound lists is always wildly all over the place, in my opinion. I think there's a lot of people that focus too much on accomplishments when I believe that the accomplishments get you into the conversation, but inevitably it's going to come down to the eye test. Two sides to the eye test. One, a person hasn't had enough elite foes for us to truly know how elite he is, so we have to do the foreshadowing math in our head. The other half of the eye test is what I consider to be the true sort of decider when you have debates in this. What does a mythical fight look like between them? If they can fight, which you can't do physically, fight at the same weight class using the same strengths and weaknesses that they hold in their natural division against each other. Those are fights that can actually only happen in the mind. Meaning, man, what does Nganu look like against you know, say it, anybody, right? Against Volkanovsky. And you're like, okay, if he had that same advantages here, I get that this is all weird mental math. And that's why a lot of people go screw pound for pound. It's worthless. I don't agree. I think it actually is the only true currency when we're debating greatness. In this case, yes, these two were able to fight each other, but look at the debate we have coming out of there, whether Volkanovsky could have or should have won. I disagree. But what I don't disagree on was that he elevated his game to such a higher level than Islam Mahachev had to. Yet even Mahachev did elevate his game with the striking. But if they were fighting at 145... I don't 145, know if I understand that. If you're fighting the number one pound-for-pound guy, right, heading into the fight, because Volkanovski was, he was heading into the fight, he was number one, why do you not have to raise the level of your fucking game to fight that guy and, by the way, outstrike him? We're talking about well, the best fighter in the sport <clears throat> heading into the contest. Right. Look, Mahachev raised his game 
in a lot of ways. I just feel like Volkanovsky had to raise it more because of the natural disadvantage he had in coming up in weight. And the fact that he did not spend 25 minutes of this fight on his back fighting and using all of his gas tank to try to get out of positions. In fact, he was reversing these positions. He was nearly taking uh, Mahachev down. If they were fighting at featherweight and they were the same size, what I saw on Saturday night is that Volkanovski is actually potentially the better fighter here. It's just in this circumstance and this fight came up just short. To me, that's enough to hold the pound for pound number one crown for right now. They're both going to have fights coming up, I'm sure, in the next four, five, six months. Things can change at any time. John Jones is parachuting back in here. If he wins the heavyweight title, we got a different discussion as well. But as we stand right now, Luke, Volkanovski is the best fighter in the world. And he proved that on Saturday, even though he didn't win the fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a little bit mixed on this one. I don't, I don't, I, to be clear, this is why I'm mixed. I don't do pound for pound rankings. I don't do any rankings. I don't spend weeks doing it. I don't spend months doing it where you're, you're tracking over time and who's rising, who's falling. I don't pay attention to it at all. I don't do it. I mean, I try to have a loose idea of who the better ones are. And I've thought that Volkanovsky heading into the contest deserved the pound for pound ranking. And I can understand the arguments for keeping it. Again, I think that they're, they're, it's, 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 it's a weird situation, right? Because He's the smaller guy. He went up in many ways, kind of outperformed the other guy. Didn't get the nod, though. So what are you supposed to do with that? It creates this inherent conflict. I mean, I have two basic problems, I think, with the pound-for-pound discussion. I I agree that it's actually worth having because at the end of the day, what are you trying to figure out? You're trying to figure out who is the best fighter in the sport. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Who is the best fighter? Who is the very best fighter that we have? But in order to figure that out, you have to give me what the definition is of best, Right, what does best mean? What goes into defining best? People just toss these words into conversation and think that they carry obvious meaning when in fact it does the opposite, right? So if I tell you that so-and-so is the best fighter, upon what am I making that conversation or that argument? There must be something that backs it. Is it the number of wins? Is it the number of stoppages? The number of ranked opponents? The length of a win streak? The the length of a title reign, the number of titles, the number of weight classes, right? These things kind of all have to be ironed out, and then you have to, to have a really good definition of best. You have to have those things figured out. No one ever figures this out ahead of time, and so people are having these like conversations where it's just two ships passing in the night because one person has an idea of what best means, and one has another. And by the way, one has not necessarily proven that their definition is actually coherent or better than the other one. So there's a lot of like everyone talking past each other or very loosely and then assuming that there's this implied wisdom when you say pound for pound or best. That's my first problem. The second problem that I have is that, dude, I'm sorry. Like this is how I personally feel. If you're the number one guy and you go and fight the number two guy, even if it's up a weight class to like ultimately put your stamp on the sport and you come up short, I don't, there should be a penalty for that. There should be a penalty for that. I don't think you should get to keep your, Standing as it was, it, your standing as it was is no longer as good as it once was. Um, I understand the argument that he won the story. I agree he won the story. He certainly won the fanfare. Hello, I've been on the Volkanovsky train before I even started at fucking Showtime. I mean, I, this is not a guy that I am like new or unaccustomed to his success or greatness. But I just kind of feel it's a little weird to go and be like, I'm the best guy in the sport, lose, and then say, oh, I'm still the best guy in the sport. There should be what? some kind of accounting for that that yeah, I don't think I people want to give because they feel emotionally lifted by his performance. Look, it's the ultimate hipster debate within something that is a hipster debate to begin with. So that's not lost on me. I get what you're saying. I just think, 
you know, one guy came up and wait to do this. Doesn't mean he gets every single bend of the fit of the doubt. We've seen that happen a lot of times, but he did do it. And even though I scored the fight four to one, the rest of the world seems to think they were largely on even terms for most of that. What if they were really on even terms? Would that have been enough for Volkanovski to get the edge? That's what I'm leaning to in the end because the performances of both were ultimately so close. And because, I can't stress this enough, Volkanovski was the fresher fighter late, landing damage up until the final bell. Mm -hmm. So I get that there has to be a penalty, Luke, but at the same time, this is a mythical debate that's aimed at trying to produce at the end of the day that with all the information that we have including the information that we don't have, which is a key part about pound for pound debate, because for the most part, these guys will never fight each other. So you've got to work off information you don't have. When I compute that all together, I say right now, Volkanovski's still the best fighter in the world, and he showed that on Saturday. But everything can change in one fight. You're only as good as your last fight. That's the truth in pound for pound debate for the most part. And if I'm going to do that for Canelo, Luke, because I felt that at that moment he lost to Bivol in a close-ish Close-ish fight. He was still the best fighter in the world at 168, the best fighter in the world at 160, and all around, skill for skill, also the best. I kind of feel that for Volkanovski in the sense that, like, the key question I'm asking myself on the way out here is, could Volkanovski win a rematch against Mahachev? I say, yes, he could. And number two, could any other lightweight in the world, like, put off that performance that Mahachev did and edge him? I don't know, Luke. Like, if you, if you had Volkanovski moving forward, let's say he announced Saturday, I did so good here, I'm done with featherweight, and I'm going to lightweight for good. Who are you going to favor against him? That's the key question that I think ultimately decides for me why I'm, I'm still okay holding him at number one. Who's going to, outside of Machev, who just did beat him, but it was close, who's going to beat Volkanovski at lightweight, Luke? That's a tough question. Do you wonder maybe Dariush would give him a tough fight? And that's why I, I'm okay keeping him at number, at number one. And I know, yeah. dude, I know it's splitting hairs, but that's what it's about. Somebody's got to do the heavy lifting and take a stand and make a statement. Volkanovski, best in show right now. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I thought he was the best fighter in the world before that fight. I still think he's the best fighter in the world. And folks are like, well, then you think he's pound for pound one. But pound for pound, if when you actually begin to define the criteria, it begins to be a range of accomplishments. And it's not abundantly clear to me that his range of If you do it wrong, it is. If you do it wrong, it's too much of a rage of accomplishments, Luke. If you okay. do it wrong, that's right, because you can go too far. But certainly in defining what the word best means, right? I saw guys being like, it's simple. He's the most dominant. Right. Define for me what dominance means. Number of rounds you've lost. Number of fights you've won. Number, again, number of weight classes you've won in. Like, you can't just say these words like best or dominance. They are empty nonsense unless you fill them with definitions. So fill them with a definition, and then we can have that out. But I just want to be clear. I think... I think Volkanovski is the most talented guy in the sport. I really, truly believe that. But I also believe that if you're going to test yourself in the way that he does and you come up short, right? You lost unanimously. Whatever you want to think about the judges. Ben Carlos was one of them. He's one of the best judges that we have. He scored it for uh, Makachev. The idea that like, oh, I just get to keep all the same accolades I had before as if they're now unblemished. I just don't believe that pers personally, personally. But I recognize that you're dealing with, you know, I mean, this is just a rare moment in the sport where like, so I think it was Kaposa who tweeted it, BC. I'll share it with you here, which was, he's like, how cool would it be to have two different champions have an ongoing rivalry 
where, yeah, they go back to their weight classes, they defend a couple times, and then they get right back after it again a little bit later. It's kind of like Penn St. Pierre, but the first time Penn fought yeah. St. Pierre, he was not the champion. And, and St. Pierre got away just barely, but then in the rematch, he obviously fucked him up real good. It's, so. it's, it's loosely like Nunes Shevchenko if they made a third time loosely like that, too. But yeah, loosely, no, that's a great yes, point. Something uh, like that, yeah. You know, it's just, in the re- there's there are reasons why, the, by the way, in my own palm for palm philosophy, why I. I hate when people lean to accomplishments. And a lot of it goes back to, you remember when Floyd beat Birdo after beating Pacquiao and he retired and there was this window of, of like Andre Ward wasn't, you know, he had slid in a little bit later, but he wasn't quite ready. Most of us had put Chocolatito in that window tw- early 2016 of the new pound for pound King. There were a flurry of American journalists who were like, no, it's Vladimir Klitschko. Dan Rayfield was one of them. And I remember thinking, This violates the spirit of pound for pound. Yes, he was on an incredible win streak and he was adding to heavyweight history and climbing up on, you know, in the top three of most title defenses and and all that stuff. But the idea of pound for pound as a structure is to take people that are uneven, basically, you know, different weight classes and try to make them even mythically. At that point, as great as Vlad was and using his size and skill to overpower other heavyweights, his size and skill is just not going to compete against people in smaller weight classes if all things were equal. That's why I think accomplishments can only take you so far in this debate. But, Luke, that was a spirited, clean, fun debate. If you have either one as your pound for pound number one, you're not wrong here. Let's just make that, obviously. I, I, I could live with either one. I could live with yeah. either one. The, the other part, too, it's like just about uh, Makachev. It's like, too, like to, to counteract that argument, are you really going to give him pound for pound top spot based off two wins like granted it's two fucking awesome wins in the sense that like who are they charles Oliveira for the lightweight title and then to retain it against the upcoming or the the, the rising i should say from a different weight class uh, featherweight champion that's a back-to-back win but it's like two fights is going to get you there plus the second one was kind of close like you know that's yeah, enough to have are, makachev it's not like i think are, makachev's a slam dunk for the case either by the way but think about a guy separate from the pound for pound debate think about a guy here in makachev who We've seen it happen before. He had to go the long route to finally get his title shot in terms of like he had to build a win streak to what was it, 11 or 12 coming in here, 11? Yeah, 12. Um, the longest win streak in UFC, or the current longest win streak in UFC history uh, among active competitors. And he finally gets to the top and he's offered Charles Oliveira after a resurgent move to the championship level and nearly the top of the pound for pound and Alexander Volkanovsky and he beats them both. Obviously close fight here, but... It's like outside of that run, John Jones went on in his first six or seven lightweight title defenses against all like Hall of Famers for the most part. It's like, Luke, you'd have to take some time to tell me a two fight stretch of victories that was critically more valuable than what than what Mahachev just did. Pretty great. Pretty great. All right. Let's talk about something else that's pretty great on this card. Fucking Yair Rodriguez. (laughs) I mean, whoa, whoa. So Yair Rodriguez is your new interim Featherweight champion. We'll talk about how it goes with Volk a little bit later, but let's start here. He triangle chokes in the second round, Josh Emmett. As I mentioned, he's the new interim champion. BC, what did Yair Rodriguez prove with this victory? That his UBL, Luke, his upper bound limits, as you would say, his ceiling in a potential biggest fight of his career, which he might just get next against Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, we don't. We just don't know where it is because what he did in here. And look, you know who had a great night at UFC 284. Well, certainly, uh, <laughs> certainly here, Yair Rodriguez. But but Dom Cruz did. And I know whenever they travel internationally, they can shake up the pay per view broadcast. And sometimes you get a trio that you love, and suddenly you're like, man, that might be my new favorite trio. Dude, Dom Cruz, I think might deserve to be in this spot moving forward. And I thought he really outlined perfectly 
the chances Yair has to take to land these these strikes that he does, but that he's willing to do. I guess in some ways you can compare that to the run Oliveira had when he was in those wars one after another, yet he was the last man standing. Luke, I mean, we've known about Yair forever. We've fawned over the potential of his talent forever. It has taken him a while to put it together. I did think that Max Holloway one changed the conversation. This performance right here obviously had the Ortega fight in between, but it had some unanswered questions. I mean, this is, he can get Josh Emmett into the fight that Josh Emmett wants, which is to get close and unload big strikes. But because of his length, because of his reaction speed, and because of his willingness to get close to the fire without being burned, he's able to get in and out and land fight-altering dramatic strikes, including that left kick to the body early on that landed with, like, you know, the sound of a baseball bat on on a home run swing. Um, Luke, he proved that any given night, maybe even the next fight against the best fighter in the world, you you can't count him out, Luke. He is, he, you know, Dom called him a one of one, and I don't, I don't mean to come out here and just steal Dom's analysis, but I thought he nailed it. He is, because very few people, and we said this about Oliveira in his, in his run on top, very few people can execute styles like this and welcome the danger and still find the success without paying for it. And his length, explosiveness, and willingness and the way he disguises his strikes and gets closer. I mean, he fought that in Josh Emmett's range and absolutely silenced and finished him. Damn, did he, did, did he come full mature maturity? Like, he he's grown in. He's blossomed in to the man that at one point we thought he could be. And even at this point as interim champion, I don't know how good he is, Luke. And that's scary. Dude, I was blown away by this performance. I mean, I was really blown away. I, we, you and I have a high opinion of Josh Emmett, and not without good reason. By the way, he was getting outstruck in the first round, then he drops Yair, and then I thought he stole the first round, to be honest with you. Um, it was you know He was getting chewed up a little bit, but then turned the tide with that nuclear power that he has, and I'm like, all right, well, this is the central tension of the fight. But the reality ended up being that, I mean, Yair Rodriguez, dude, we're going to look back on Max Holloway's win over Yair Rodriguez, a lot more fondly than we already do. I mean, I think that, honestly, BC, here's something to think about. You know, Max got, like, really chewed up by Volkanovski, in part because Volkanovski, in fact, in fact, for the most part, I should say, because Volkanovski is amazing. I do wonder how much that Yair fight took out of him, which people wondered in real time. But now looking back on it, it's like, dude, Yair is a vicious, devastating striker. You know, we talk about guys with big punching power as, like, devastating strikers or people who... You know, I don't know, have more conventional slick technique. And he's slick as hell, but you know, he's a little bit wild at the same time. And so because he's wild and acrobatic, people think it's not devastating. It is a he is a devastating striker, dude. Those middle kicks to the body of Josh Emmett, Josh Emmett looked like he had never felt anything like that in his life. And that dude's been through some shit. I couldn't believe how much it made him struggle. But the real thing that got me my attention was BC, Yair Rodriguez has offense everywhere everywhere yeah, no panic when he ends up with, on his back with a with a ground and pound wrestling specialist on top of him no panic and he gets to finish within like 20 seconds amazing and on top of it when he got underneath and he he extends like an accordion with his elbow and then crunches down and gets it and he's so long and lanky dude he is a nightmare it doesn't matter where you have him 
He always has a way to reverse position, find offense, and that offense is usually ugly and devastating. He is an he is an offensive dynamo. And Danny Segura brought this up. He and Brandon Moreno were part of that 2013 uh, class of fighters that the UFC had basically turned into like scholarship athletes to go and train in North America and let's see what they could become. And most of the people I'm sure that they put money in didn't work out. But from the same class, they have Brandon Moreno, flyweight champ, and now Yair Rodriguez. 145 interim champ. Don't forget, also, both guys, uh, at, for a time, in different circumstances and not for very long, but both guys cut from the UFC before they had to come back to the UFC. If you recall, Yair Rodriguez was briefly let go and then brought back, so that was a thing that happened. And so we're just talking about a guy who has developed a highly unique, totally, I mean, just a bruising. His, dude, his style is like a bully. It's almost like a bully what he does to people, and yet it's all long range, or when it gets short range, He's got nastiness for them there. He is he is arguably the most offensively talented fighter in the UFC. How many guys have this kind of... And, and dude, his offense causes urgency, right? Like when he was landing the body kicks to Emmett, Emmett would freeze and then get hit with another one. And now all of a sudden, you've taken two really, really bad hard shots. They just pile on top of each other so quickly. Everything turns to quicksand with Yet Rodriguez and the punishing strikes like that with him. He may be the most offensively gifted fighter, certainly the most offensively oriented fighter in many ways in the UFC. And I honestly feel like, you know, that's a tough fight for Volkanovski. I think Volkanovski will probably win. I favor him to win. But, dude, Yair dude, Rodriguez a is a tough, fight. tough guy to beat. So let's compare slightly here. Now, look, I'm a, I'm a bigger fan of, of prime Brian Ortega, meaning the moments, which can be fleeting at times, that he can show you the very best of him. I looked at Brian Ortega heading into that Volkanovski fight as somebody who could, if things went his way and he was able to take his superpowers and put them in, you know, find a moment where he can use them, he could win it, and he showed you that. He put Volkanovski in more danger of losing during this run, short of the fight we just saw, than, than you know, that we've ever seen. And maybe even comparative to that fight we just saw, which was a decision loss. Yair can do that, Luke, only I don't think he has those same exact flaws of Ortega to welcome danger and wear it in the sense. You know, Ortega's got to, Ortega, like Charles Oliveira on that recent run, they've got to take some damage to be in that to open up the opportunities for them to get the win. Do you feel that Yair is better at minimizing that damage? I mean, it's not as if his aggressive style, which sometimes involves risk-taking, doesn't open him up to strikes against Max, right? I mean, it was a back-and-forth great fight. But I don't think he takes on as much damage willingly as Oliveira and Ortega does to try to have those big moments. And that's, that little slight difference to me makes him extra dangerous. I just feel like his offense, I mean, he's got better defense too. Like he makes better decisions, but his offense just ends up being his defense, which is to say like it's so punishing. And again, he can catch you from such different ranges. I don't think folks really realize that and how quick they come that it ends up causing problems. It gets guys out of their game plans. It gets them hurt, obviously. It gets them panicking. It gets them to just make a series of bad decisions. And so that makes it easier for him to then employ whatever defensive work that he has to. But like, just think about it. From underneath the guard, he's not collar-tying and overhooking when he's in guard. What is he doing? He's closing the guard, and then he's just ripping elbows from underneath relentlessly and very hard like they're not small sh they're not like the ones like over the shoulder which you know are mechanically inefficient there's not much you can do there but just his it's not that they say he doesn't have defense but he doesn't find himself bc this is the thing right whenever you like for example even when max would have yair mounted 
right? That's a very dominant position. He wouldn't be able to hold it for very long. There'd be strikes from underneath. He'd cause a scramble. He would somehow find a way eventually to get out of it. So he would have defensive work in those scenarios, but he turns it into offense so quickly. He makes he takes defensively bad situations and finds offense in them. He's just so offensively oriented, and because he's acrobatic and rangy, it's just one of the most miraculous things you're ever going to see. Josh Emmett is a quality fighter, and you would not have known that watching him compete against Yair on Saturday night. Yeah, but and, and, and even in that argument, Josh Emmett did land a couple big shots where you're like, oh, you know, one of those could change the entire direction of this fight. Yair took those very well, Luke. He is becoming a special fighter. I don't know enough. I, you know, I haven't followed his specific, probably because I never, inter- I've not interviewed him during this run yet, but. I, I don't know behind the scenes what clicked, but something changed. And, and you're right, and I've made that point in the past about that. We'll look back at that Max fight as a, as a ter- major turning point. What do you think has changed for Yair? Is it just maturity and focus, Luke? Because there's a level of of, of poise and dialed-in focus that just wasn't there in those previous runs. So let's talk about something that he did. How about those body kicks, right? We all remember the body kicks that he landed from opposite side stance. What you saw him doing was initially low-kicking, 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 and then he would feint the low kick, switch stance. Um, Emmett would back up just a bit, like, oh, what's happening here? And then move into range. And the instant he pops, this all happens very quickly. And the instant he pops back in, boom. Um, Yair set him up and landed on him. So you, And then, by the way, what would, he, what would he do behind the kick? He'd throw the punch right behind it, right? So boom, boom. It's like a one-two thing. So what do I bring this up to say? Before, I think he was just kind of jout. You st- you st- you'll still see it in the UFC. You'll see fighters come in, usually in the lower levels, and they just joust with one another. They don't feint their way in. They don't trick their way in. They're, everything is just about force meeting force and then seeing who the better guy is. But that's a real meathead way to fight. The better guys, the really better guys, don't do that. And what you see from Yair Rodriguez was he used low kicks and feinting to get himself into the stance and distance and to get the reaction that he wanted out of Emmett to make it all work. He has got different tools to play with that have elevated his game in BC. This is what you're picking up on. Everything seems to gel together now because he has not just this tool, that tool, that strike, this punch. It's all a system that he has built. And now he executes the system. And what you're noticing is, wow, it all works together so well. Right. That's a developed fighter. Well said, Luke Thomas. Well said. Um, Are you transitioning out? Because there's a couple of loose ends that people want us to address here, Luke, overall. Um, I can transition out, but real quickly, how do you feel like a fight between Volkanovski and Rodriguez looks like? Great question. Um, I agree with you that you're going to have to favor Volkanovski. And if you said who's more likely to win him, because what makes Volkanovski great, he's got an answer for everything and he's not going to be overwhelmed in any category. Potentially, unless you're against this type of striker who can disguise launch and connect explosive type of strikes, Luke, at any given moment that can alter things. Now, you know, is he gonna is he gonna one strike knockout Volkanovski? Probably not likely. Volkanovski's shown a chin and an ability, as we mentioned with Ortega fight, to get out of gnarly situations with extreme focus and confidence and poise and and damn, damn, did he look did he do things on Saturday that elevated him enough for me to keep him number one pound for pound? But if you're asking me who at featherweight right now, because you know, I don't know if Ortega's gonna ever make the kind of run to get back to the top I want him to. I don't know if Zabit's ever coming through that door again, Luke. And if he does, you know, he may never be the the mythical hero that I look at him to be. This is the guy, Luke. This is the guy that can do it. 
And, and, and we have to remember that because in this sport, especially at the elite level, you can you can lose a million ways and anything can happen. Look at Edwards versus Usman and, and Poetan versus uh, Adesanya to prove that. Um, he's got a very good chance of winning this full championship. And this, it's funny, we've said it and it's right. Volkanovski versus Mahachev on paper, one of the, one, seriously, one of the best fights of this era in terms of like stakes, combined talent, win streaks, pound for pound placement, and oh yeah, it also it also delivered. But Yair versus versus uh the champ here. Pretty, pretty good too, Luke. Okay. One of the best fights you can make in this entire sport this calendar year. If you Let's just think about next. title fights you can make, that's one of the best ones. And here's the thing I think Volkanovsky is a better overall fighter than Yair. No doubt about it in my mind. But Yair is so fucking dangerous. Styles, Any dude. I hate mistake. that cliche, but styles do make fights. What about these styles? Damn. Right, that was that one. Whatever they make, that one is a fun one. And BC, first time in UFC history, history, two simultaneous Mexican champions, pretty big deal. Pretty like big that. deal. I like that a All lot. All right, let's go to uh, point number four here, BC. Last on the UFC 284 card, if we can, just very simply, how about Jack De La Maddalena? Now we all kind of thought he was going to look good and get it done, but uh, he looked really good and really got it done against Randy Brown, stopping him in the first round. BC, this was supposed to be. His toughest test, he ended up breezing right through it. Is the right next step for Jack De La Maddalena, old JDM, a top 15 opponent right now? Oh, oh, heck yeah. Um, this is, since the decision win in the Contender Series, which is, by the way, the only pro fight for Jack that has not <laughs> that has not ended in a finish, either, you know, for him losing, which he lost twice early, or, or the run he's on. Dude, he's finished four straight opponents in the first round, each one, Match you know, matchmaking in a way to try to show us what he has and what he can do, dude. If he had just run through Brown and you know early and dominated him, we we still would have said great things. But even though the fight ultimately still ended early, the poise in setting up those strikes and then once he's able to land them, the pinpoint marksmanship, the ability to 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 get the submission on and get the tap. Dude, all the stuff that Patty Pimblett is receiving, and the only com- way this comparison makes sense is I felt that this pay-per-view card was not deep. No one can argue that. Whether, whether yeah, these fights... Not. I mean, our boy Balian of MMA on Point on our MK show was like, can't wait for Kroot Minifield, and we all laughed at him. Turns out we were wrong, Luke, because that was batshit crazy too. But this was I not No, no, deep. I didn't think it was not going to be a crazy fight. I just didn't care. Good point. And that's the point of this card. Outside of those top two fights, you just didn't really care except for this spot. He got the placement Patty received in his last fight in the co-main event of a pay-per-view that tells you this guy could be next. Only unlike Patty, he's kicking the doors down in the true way that really matters by your performance in the cage, not by, you know, being on Molly's shoulders or getting that barstool money, which, by the way, if you can get that, well done, Patty. You know how to market yourself. But this guy needs that that rocket ship now to potentially, you know, make the leap and get stardom. I don't mean a title shot tomorrow. We're not necessarily comparing him to Hamzat Chemaev in the standpoint of, like, he's here, he's ready to take over, let's see what he's got. But you said top 15 opponent. You're damn right he better be getting that next because, Luke, there's times when someone's rising and we see things and it gets us excited. And, you know, we've been proven wrong a million times. He has that poise, confidence, and just understanding of what he's doing. That is different. It is different. Is it different enough to win a championship? I don't know. But I don't think you can overhype him right now because he's lived up to that in every possible way. The thing about him that's so amazing, BC, is like a lot of times you'll see guys come through the ranks and they'll even beat someone who's like well known, like Randy Brown is or something. But they'll do it with like brute force. 
you know, where they're just like rah, coming in there and then, you know, they land one and everyone tries to say that there's a bunch of science behind it because they have the wins on their record and everyone keeps falling. And you're like, well, there must be science behind it. But a lot of times that ends up not really being true. And to be clear, Jack De La Maddalena has good power. He's hardly some kind of soft touch guy. But the reason that he wins is because you can just watch him methodically fuck these guys up. I mean, it's really as simple as that. He is a scientist in there. He is a guy. The, these students, these young guys in their mid to you know early, sometimes late 20s. I think he's around that. 20, he's, he's 26, I think. 26 years old, and he looks this good. He reminds me a little bit. Um, actually, that's not quite true. But the point I wanted to make was he is able to apply a very technical game to get what he wants. And that's why it works every time, at least against given who he's going up against. Because he's not playing, he's not, first of all, he's not fucking around. He's not just trying things randomly. He has a game plan. He is a well-studied student. He has good foundations, great foundations. And he applies them scientifically. He applies them systematically. And so no wonder it's not an accident. How did he do it? He used good footwork to corral Randy Brown, pass him, push him back, make him exit on an angle, and then popped him for it on the blind side when he did. Dude, that was, I mean, I don't know if he had that plan from the word go inside of the game plan, but pressuring him backwards and then forcing him to make bad choices, I guarantee was in the game plan. I absolutely guarantee it, partly because you know that about Randy Brown being is able to be pressured on tape. You can see it pretty clearly. So the point I wanted to make here was here was a guy against an experienced opponent who just methodically pushed him back, methodically using good footwork, corralled an opponent, and then popped him for it on the way out. Dude, this is what you want from guys in their 20s, right? This is what you want. If you can take what that what's already there and then build experience, slightly tougher opposition, good development, he'll get physically stronger as he gets bigger, all that fun stuff. By the time he's 30, he is going to be a nightmare for the 170ers out there. He's already a guy, in my view, deserving of someone in the top 15, and I think he's going to go much, much further than that. Hell yeah. Uh, Luke, before you transition out of this UFC, a couple points real quick. People have hit us on Twitter aggressively. I want to respond. Some people say, no, forget this pound-for-pound pound debate. It should be John Jones. Guys, he's been out for three years. Yeah, Most pound-for-pound pound rankings, if you have any kind of backbone in doing them, you have a one-year rule where after a full year, if a fighter does not have a fight and they've been inactive, like they don't have a fight scheduled or there's no major rumors, they got to be off the list, okay? It's right now. Who's the best right now? We don't still know if John Jones is the best right now. Number two, Luke, people want you in particular to respond to Dan Hooker's Twitter accusations this morning that Mahachev used an IV and should be suspended by USADA and not allowed to win that fight. Your thoughts? Yeah, did he provide a lick of evidence for it? Because I haven't seen any. Thank you very much. And finally, uh, there's a fellow Luke named uh, Matt Ritz who said, hey, MK, as one of your P1s, uh, you really fucked up with this live show. Hey, once again, dude, not our fault, but yeah, no, even no, further actually, here. Actually, it turns out that we didn't. You know, we, we Even were the further first... here, that live show was for the UK. In fact, the idea I had pitched originally was that it wouldn't even air live so that we can make it as crazy and ra you know, raunchy as possible. We will. You will get it. You're going to be appreciative that we waited long based on the production values of what they do. You're going to enjoy yeah. that. So don't worry, Matt. We I, love I'm, I'm happy to accept blame where we actually were the ones who did something and messed it up. But uh, yeah, that's happened a lot. But this is happened not a lot. The case. And by the way, it will happen in the future. Not the case here. And before not you transition out of here, are you going to bring up uh, Jessica Andrade now or, or later? Uh, we, did you put anything about it in? Have you seen this shit? I have let's not. Wait, so let's, let's wait. Let's wait until DMs. Let's wait until DMs because okay. it might okay. be in there. 
Sure. Uh, okay, BC, last but not least, you were there. I called the prelims solo, which don't make me do that again, BC. That's, that's very hard. <laughs> you, <laughs> that's did, not easy. you did that to me once on a five-minute notice. Not Dude, your fault. Dude, was it, sick. We had to take her to the ER. Fault. Not your fault, by the way, and I would have told you to go a million times, but I know that yeah. feeling. It ain't it ain't easy, brother. It ain't yeah, easy. It's tough. It's tough. Well, we got through it. Um, car was good. Main event, you got to love the story. Uh, yeah. It looks like it's spelled Oshaki. It's not. It's it's pronounced Oshaki. It's Oshaki Foster, and he was a slight, slight underdog, BC, heading into this one. I talked about the odds on the prelim show, but you had told me ahead of time you just thought that Foster had a chance. Now, Ray Vargas heading into this fight was undefeated, was the 122 previous champion, was the reigning 126 champion. This was his first shot at 130 after the Mark Moxayo fight. Why did you believe that Foster had such a good chance of winning? Even though he wasn't the taller man in this one, Ray Vargas, you know, unnaturally tall for the divisions he fights in. He was the bigger man, which I know that doesn't make a ton of sense because you're like, well, he's known as a slickster, not a puncher. He has a very interesting style that sometimes makes him a puncher. I have extra experience having called one of Oshaki's biggest wins, a knockout of Miguel Roman back on the old NBC Sports Ring City USA card. And he, he did the same thing here he did to Vargas, only he got a stoppage in that one. Luke, he has an ability because his defense is so sound to operate in punching range for most of the fight, but use the swiveling, use the shoulder rolls, use different things to be able to stand close enough where if your defense isn't up to point, he'll light you up with shots. And the key to this victory was taking away the jab of Vargas by being quicker on the inside. He didn't run like Vargas accused him of ahead of the fight that he would do. You know, this wasn't, oh, the slick boxer just got enough. This was a fighter who used his slickness, matched it with the willingness to punch, landed the better shots throughout, and got the decision win and is now a champion at 130 pounds. So you may ask yourself, why should I care? Look, we cover combat sports for a living. More often than not, there's bad headlines and, and bad bad endings. This is a this is a really good one. And look, you texted me something when you were doing your research ahead of call, of calling, you know, setting up the prelims and, and hosting it, which you did a great job. You were the judge, jury, and executioner in that regard. You said, "Oh, Shockey's got a way better story than he even tells himself in interviews," and that's it's true. true. He's very humble, but here's the real deal on Oshaki Foster. Um, did not have a good childhood. Had an awful one. In, in, in ways that weren't his fault, uh, was arrested for aggravated assault six years ago, did jail time. It was in jail that he watched Terrence Crawford become the undisputed champion at 140 pounds in which he sort of had his rock bottom moment of that, that, that could be, that should be me. And what he's done since then in the six years, get out of prison, turn his personal life around, get back to becoming a fighter worthy of climbing the ladder of becoming a, a title contender and then dealing with boxing politics. Look, he had nearly two years off after that big win over Miguel Roman that I mentioned because he just couldn't get the right opportunities at the right time. But when he did on Saturday, he showed you exactly who he is. One of the best 130 pound fighters in this world. So I wanted to make sure that people got that turnaround in the story. Ray Vargas was 36-0 and coming in, like you mentioned. Had just had the biggest win of his career against Mark Magsayo at 126. Won a world title and was trying to dare to be great in his own words. Was trying to join that list of Mexican fighters who have won titles in three different divisions. And by the way, that list is like Chavez, Canelo, Morales, Barrera, Morris, Santa Cruz. All the names you know and love. He couldn't do it because Oshaki Foster stepped up in his biggest opportunity and showed out. And I was, you know... 
look, I'm very happy Jim Gray went to the Super Bowl. He was on assignment. I got to fill in. But to see that moment play out right in front of me, it was great. And, you know, great crowd. Just a pure boxing fans down there in San Antonio. Really enjoyed that. I believe we've got just a quick bite of sound to throw to for Oshaki celebrating the moment here. Long Island Luke in the back, if you can press play. Years later, through the boxing politics, through the layoffs, how do you even put into words what this journey has been like? Man, I can't. I can't even put it into words, man. Uh, you know, I just know. I just know my mom's, my grandma. You know, my uncle and them. They all looking down on me, man. Uh, it's just been a. It's been a tough journey, but a great outcome, man. Great story. Man. Seriously. He said something. Yeah, I watched your interview with him. Not this one, but the one you did pre-fight. And uh, I told my wife about it. I was so like, he said something that was heartbreaking, man. Heartbreaking. He said that, uh, you know, he didn't get into big details, but he said he wasn't wanted as a child. And one of the ways he eventually figured it out was he never understood why there were no baby pictures of him. Like, there was nothing. And he realized that, like, basically at the time, he was just an unwanted kid. And, uh, you know, it kind of broke my heart because, like, dude, Tuki is, like, everywhere all over my house. I have a Google Nest, and it's just (laughs) rotating photos of Tuki. She's on my wall here. Like, I could never imagine not documenting every part of her day um, that was sad when he said that, man. That was sad. So, like, one of the guys who's made his own mistakes, as you mentioned, he he not you know this is not a guy who is uh, just an angel from uh, sent down from heaven. He's he's made his own problems at times, but but he does seem like a good guy. He seems like a great dad, and he is a hell of a champion. He uh, claimed the he, vacant one thirty WBC um, super featherweight title. So good for Oshaki Foster, and that's one of the titles that Shakur Stevenson lost on the scales and then moved up in weight. So you know he had his son in his arms before that inner in ring interview, and it was just it was touching. He had a gr- great turnout. He's from you know down the road in Orange, Texas, which is closer to the Louisiana side, but uh, great turnout in terms of the crowd for him. So it was a fun moment. And hey. hey. Mar- Mario Barrios bounced back on the co-main. I know it wasn't, you know, the, a killer opponent here. Giovanni Santiago moved up in weight to fight him, but big win for Mario Barrios, just the same. And uh, the Perot brothers both got wins, Denier and then Lanier. One was on the prelim card, which I called his, uh, I don't know if he's his younger brother or not, but he's his Yeah, his experience. younger brother. Yep. Yeah, he's, he, he, this was his third pro fight, and then Lanier gets the win on the main card. Both guys from the same hometown as Luis Ortiz, Camagüey, um, Cuba. So Cuba. nice to see yeah. them getting back. By the way, Bob Santos... Busy man, trainer Bob Santos on that card. Dude, um, good to see him out there. He just reunited with Barrios. I didn't even know that he was Barrios's original trainer on the come up. So yeah, nice moment there. We, uh, we caught up with him behind the scenes. One, one of my favorite guys in the sport. Very, very good head coach. So we'll see what they do. And I was going to say, forward. can someone get Regis Progre a seat? Did you watch Dude, the broadcast? <laughs> he, he spent stood the, the whole time. So he he had him and, and a couple friends with him, and they're in the. He's trained by the same trainer, Bobby Benton, that Oshaki Foster is in Houston. He stood up the entire night in the fourth row cheering on Oshaki, which is great. But you know, good luck anybody sitting behind him telling the champ there at one forty <laughs> to sit your ass down. You know, Rougarou? No, yeah. not happening. Not happening. Have fun. <laughs> All right, but we have to get to DMs. But before we do, let's go to our friends from Private Internet Access. Roll the clip. Did you know your internet service provider knows literally everything you do online? Did you guys know over 30 million people have signed up for our next sponsor? 
you've got to check out private internet access. These days, getting on the internet without a VPN is risky business. Internet service providers are tracking your every move. Big companies are profiting off of you, and cyber criminals are trying to steal your data. Maybe at this point you're thinking, well, what is a VPN? A VPN is a virtual private network. That means private internet access encrypts your internet activity and disguises your online identity, making it more difficult for third parties to track your activities online or steal your data. Private internet access is the most transparent VPN on the market. They keep no tabs on you, and their no-logs policy has been proven in court multiple times. How it works is private internet access hides your IP address and encrypts your internet connection. This way, you're in control of your data, and your digital life is shielded from snoopers. All you have to do is connect to a private internet access VPN server. You're good to go. It only takes a few clicks, and it will give you the peace of mind of being truly private on the internet. Plus, you'll love the convenience of private internet access. They have apps for all operating systems, and they're really user-friendly. I've been looking for a product like this for a long time. I'm so glad I found private internet access. What I love about PIA is having that peace of mind and how easy it was to set up. I'm a public figure, so keeping my life private very important to me. I personally love private internet access because it allows me to keep snoopers out of my digital life. So if you want to enjoy all the benefits of private internet access, now is the time to subscribe. Head to piavpn.com slash combat with a K and get an additional 83% discount. Seriously, 83%. That's just $2.03 a month. And you also get four extra months completely free. But you must go to piavpn.com slash combat for a truly private digital life. One last time, that's piavpn.com slash combat. All right, there we have it. Uh, BC, now keep it is time. Dis- keep your disgusting search history away from your loved ones. <laughs> yes. Time now for uh, when the viewers get to ask us questions. It's time for DMs from the Diggity Donks. Let's run the animation. Yeah, he hawed yes, that. By the way, lots of people commenting on how many of our viewers are male. Yeah, we knew. We weren't surprised. Yeah. We've seen, How we've many seen of data. our UK live crowd people were were male? A lot of them. But hey, shout out to all those uh, girlfriends and wives who came. I mean, look, you got to give it up to Dawn Paquette of Nova Scotia, right? You know? Yes, I did meet her briefly in uh, after the show, and she seemed quite quite nice and quite lovely. All right, BC from at Payule. Did Volk just lay the br- blueprint? Excuse me for fighters to beat the seemingly unsolvable Dagestani style. Obviously, not everyone can fight like Volk, but. What are some of the key lessons other fighters can take from his performance? Yeah, I don't think he wrote the fucking blueprint. I got to be very well. Clear about I mean, that. The, the key element is there is not everybody can fight like Volk. I right. wasn't sure Volk could fight like Volk in this fight, and he did. So, but Luke, you made a case for the idea of of Benny Dariush, who wasn't afraid to <laughs> say things into a microphone that could have got him, you know, off there. Luke standing firm, and I appreciate that. But uh, I mean. <laughs> Who can who can slow down? Who can neutralize Mahachev's takedown threat enough to outstrike him? Right, that's the idea. the The idea is it's not that he. It's not that it's not or who could who who is better at wrestling than Islam? Right now, maybe the answer is nobody, but that at least is still something you have to ask. Um, although I would say I think the defensive wrestling of Darius. People are like, oh, he Darius doesn't have the speed of of Volkanovski. Are y'all under the impression that Volkanovski won, or I should say, put together a potentially winning performance because he was faster? 
You should not think that. That's not the reason why he did well. He did well because, yeah, certain times he was quick, but it's because he had really good technical application to find openings. It's a big difference than just being Zab Judah quick. No, that's not why he won. So Dariush doesn't have that, but doesn't need that. Now, again, I'm not saying Dariush is the guy to beat Makachev, but we're talking about beating the Dagestani style. Can we just say something? There's a lot of different Dagestani styles. <laughs> There's not one Dagestani style. Like, a lot of it is... Um, sometimes long-range striking into, obviously, um, top control, wrist control, wrist rides, leg rides, uh, attacks from the back, you know, that kind of a thing. But, like, you know, is it, uh, how different are Islam and, and for example, uh, Usman Nurmagomedov? They're meaningfully similar, but there are also a lot of big differences between them. How about fucking Habib and Islam? Dude, they're very different fighters in a lot Zabit? of important respects. Zabit's another one. So, like, when people say the Dagestani style, it's like, what do you mean exactly? See, this is what I mean, BC. Who's the best fighter? It just shows dominance. You're just saying words. They have to have meaning behind them. Yeah. So um, I do think that Volk showed that if you have the kind of takedown defense where um, you never, never, you, you stay on your base, you wrist and hand fight the whole time, uh, and you can create separation, yeah, you can do a lot for yourself. Um, but, you know, it's going to take a lot more than that to, uh, to beat um, Islam. All right. From at... I mean, I've got glasses. Dolan M. Johnson, with damage being the main scoring criteria, it's supposed to be impact, but whatever, then couldn't an argument be made for Volk winning round four? Get the fuck out of here with this. After all, that's how O'Malley edged out Jan. Are we really going to fucking argue you can give up the back for three minutes and win a fucking round because of punches like this. Get the fuck out of here with this. <laughs> what nonsense this fucking argument is. So stupid. Let me read the key paragraph one more time, and then people can judge for themselves. A, this is from the, the definition here. A judge shall assess if a fighter impacts their opponent significantly in the round, even though they may not have dominated the action. Impact includes visible evidence such as swelling and lacerations. Impact shall also be assessed when a fighter's actions using striking and or grappling lead to a diminishing of their opponent's energy, confidence, abilities, and spirit. All of these came as a direct result of impact. When a fighter is impacted with strikes by lack of control and or ability, this can create defining moments in the round and shall be assessed with great value. I understand that's very generic. I think it kind of is for a point to a point. People have overvalued the idea of impact to the level that they take away anything you're doing on the ground short of ground and pounding someone's face in. And I think we got to get off of that. Also, just I don't think people understand the significance of the back. And again, if you wanted to say Islam was stalling, I'm not disagreeing. He was stalling. He was stalling. Certainly towards the end, he was stalling. Uh, but that's the referee's job. Like, it's not Islam's job to let go because he's stalling or for Volk to get like a free stand up because Islam's stalling. I guess the referee was supposed to intervene. It's the referee's job. If the referee, and I, I like Mark Arden, I'm not, he, he, it's a tough job. He didn't do it because people don't want to take away from the back understand why the referee doesn't want to take away from the back, right? Like why won't referees stand up someone who's in mount or in the back? It's happened at times. It's extremely rare. It's because if you know anything about fighting, having that kind of asymmetry where I have control and, and total access to your back, dude, that is fucking check. Ladies and yeah. gentlemen, you are, you're Most asking guys are me, who would I rather up. be this guy or the guy yes. with the back control? I'll be the guy with the back control one billion times 
out of I, 1 billion. It is such an advantage and it puts your opponent if they don't have if their defense is not locked in the whole time, the um, the the ability for the fight to go from where it is to over is that fucking quick. Yes, of course he won that fucking round. What are people talking about? I think people see they go, "Oh, he took him down and didn't land meaningful strikes." Very true. Fine. But that doesn't cancel out what happened and unless Volkanovski had a decided advantage in terms of striking and damage or the threat of submissions or anything that could have won him the fight, you have to count that part of it, which was he took him down, he took his back, and he put on a threat of a choke. And that's just, it's just what it is. And and look, in these rounds, the striking was too close to automatically say, oh, well, he didn't really do anything with that takedown. If it wasn't close, you can say that. But because it was, it's part of the argument. Right. And again, it's like, oh, well, the submissions, anything he was trying from the back then wasn't very close. If you make any mistake from the back, it is fucking over. It is yeah. over against someone as good as Islam Makachev. It's fucking over. That's almost not true for virtually any other position that you can achieve in all of grappling. I mean, and, and as great as Volk is, but I, I think he was so smart during that sequence to get the crowd involved and try to raise the energy because I think it was lifting him to be able to try to work out of that position. And that's a credit to him. But you need that crowd. You kind of need that crowd to fuel you just the same, though. Yeah. All right. From Dawson.Hooley, I think. Okay. So if you folks didn't see this, they write, with Santos out, how do you see Blanchfield versus Andrade playing out? So for folks who may not have caught this, uh, Tyler Santos, but by the way, the news was broken, hello, on the RSD couch, that Aaron Blanchfield this coming weekend is going to be fighting Tyler Santos. Except, BC, Tyler Santos is out. And replacing her... It's Jessica Andrade. Now, we've been high on Aaron Blanchfield. I liked her chances against Tyler Santos. I don't know about the Jessica Andrade fight, BC. What are your feelings about this one? Yeah, there's elements to it that make this a much harder fight. And what a turnaround of circumstances, considering we knew about this date and fight happening from the RSD. But then, you know, what what was the original main event of this card? Wasn't it Cheeto versus Sanhagen that got moved? Yeah, it got to, moved to a big card. Yeah, or a big So audience, this anyway. became the, the main event, and now you switch opponents, which, you know, it's at, certainly asking a lot of both fighters. There are elements of the Andrade switch which makes this tougher, meaning Blanchfield's got more of a chance to lose this spectacularly because that's the power that Jessica Andrade brings to the equation and the strength and all that. But, Luke... There are certain vulnerabilities within Jessica at this at this uh, division that I don't think Tyler Santos has. Tyler Santos, to me, was a much better, well-rounded threat that was really going to test Aaron over the potential five rounds. Now with Andrade, it could be more dangerous in certain situations, but I think it also offers her, look, she may have to throw a perfect game to do it, but do you think she could throw a perfect game here and potentially take Andrade down and win it in her strengths? easier said than done, but I think that the change in opponent, it depends how you look at it. Am I right right or wrong here? I I mean, uh, I'll say this. You know, if you're going to fight Jessica Andrade, getting her on a week's notice, that helps. Yep. Right? That helps. Okay. Um, But it helps. I mean, it changes things for for Aaron too, but I mean, if you're, you're getting a relatively unready Andrade, so there's that. The other part is, do I think that uh, that Blanchfield can win? I do. It's going to be tough. I, in some sense, like Blanchfield losing is not a big deal because this is like, I mean, this is way, way, way out there in terms of like how Tyler Santos is a tough opponent, 
But Jessica Andrade is a dangerous one, like a very dangerous one. For the the capacity for shit to go wrong for you with her is high. Do not forget that not only did she lose the first round against Rose as badly as you can lose it and then dropped Rose on her head. Weird circumstances, I get it. But don't forget the Ioana title fight for Jessica Andrade in which she was lit up for three, nearly four full rounds. And Luke had moments in the end in those championship rounds, would not stop coming forward, would not stop landing the kind of punches that you're like, oh, I don't know if Ioana can take another one of those. So if Blanchfield does this, it could be white knuckle for 25 minutes. I mean, it really could at the end of the day here. So it's weird. It's like if she wins, dude, she might be getting the next title shot against Shevchenko if the things fall, if they fall her way. Will it be better for her career in the long run if she loses? You never know, Luke. You never know in these circumstances. But she's game. She's ready. She's been incredible on this run. We're going to find out for real what she's made of because if she cannot take Andrade down and control in her strength, even if she outstrikes Andrade in terms of volume, and which you know is going to still be asking a lot of her, can she take those punches? I don't know. I don't know, dude. I mean, Lauren Murphy got... She went the distance, but she got lit up, and she's about as tough as it comes in this division. Yeah, she sure is. And so we talked to Blanchfield. She was like, I already know I'm better than everyone else in the division. Why should I wait? And I'm like, well, you believe you're better than everyone else in the division. Whether that's true, we shall see. But I'll say this, BC, if she beats Andrade, Woo! she might be your new champion eventually. Like, I, that, yeah, that is – well, dude, to, to, how many – okay, so how many fights currently on the record – does Aaron Blanchfield have, right? What's her exact record? It's it's like less than 10 fights, right? Yeah. Pro. Dude, this is the, the reality of a division yeah, that sorry, isn't just d- just d- around it. She's 10 and one. Yeah, she's 10 and one. So this is only her 12th pro fight. If you can beat Jessica Andrade in your 12th pro fight, fucking hell. Did she? Who's her loss? Tracy really Cortez good. out of the UFC? Potentially? Yeah, I think that was years ago. She lost Tracy Cortez back in 2019 in Invicta. It was a split decision, so it was pretty close. Okay. Yeah, I mean, look, she's got a chance to 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 win us over in 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 monster ways. But look, the thing is, the only thing that scares me is this: Blanchfield's biggest wins. I'm thinking Miranda Maverick. I'm thinking, you know, the the big one against Molly. Dude, she dominated those fights. You know, on her she, terms. She looked incredible. I mean, she's shown flashes. But what happens if you got a rally? That's the things that's just unknown. She's cold-blooded, Luke. We know that she may she may be able to do this at the end, and if she does after a Jessica Andrade, she'll be fighting for a world title and will have a great chance at winning it, even with Valentina being a superhero, but you gotta get past this boss at the end of the video game, and it turns out it's Andrade, Luke, and she comes to that fight to do one thing. Knock you the frick out. Alright, from at cal.cummy. That's the worst name ever. That's gross, right? Yeah. How did you both, but especially BC as a first-time visitor, find the food on your trip to London? Well, we went to a really nice dinner on Thursday night, right? Thursday night? Yeah, Thursday night uh, at some uh, Hawksmoor Steakhouse or something like that. Yeah, it was really that, good. Was, that was nice. We weren't allowed to order Everything we else was straight up trash. They daddy-pantsed us at that restaurant. They're like, "Your or- this is the food we will be serving you. Yeah, yeah. Right? They didn't even give us a menu. Like, you're just eating this shit. It was but, good, though. It was very uh, good. It was really it was good. good. Yeah, it was really good. I'll say this. The, the Brits just eat dog food. I mean, how else do you want me to say it? Like, Well, there's there's probably going to be a uh, a scene that you'll see on the upcoming documentary, Morning Combat, Volume 8, whenever Jake Von Amsterdam gets to it. But, yeah, we I, I sampled the gas station fare, and you were like, you are fucking eating dog food, sir. And, you know, I couldn't argue with that. So here's what I'll say about it. So we had We had one elite meal, if you will, and I thought it, it was good. It was very good. We had a lot of mid-fare, 
And to to take a Luke Thomas word, it was it was nubs. It was weird. There were weird. Maybe that's just culture differences. There were like I ordered that salad. There were no greens. It was just all tomatoes. And, BC and then, ordered a tomato salad, right? And you're like, okay, what's in a tomato salad? How about fifty five pounds of? <laughs> and when I say chunks of tomato, I don't mean like julienne. I mean like someone cut it with like a book. Like, just kind of smashed it and pulled the pieces apart and then threw them in a plate. And then no lettuce, like, no onions, no nothing. Just fucking croutons. (laughs) And it was in a bowl that filled up with tomato juice, so it became a soup. And then they gave me the chicken separate. And maybe that's normal fare there, but it was weird. I also had breakfast, Luke. They served me scrambled eggs on top of the on top of this giant piece of bread that could not be chewed through. Uh, It's just there's some elements that are weird. Here's what I'll say about the UK fare in general. Their gas station food is weird as shit and create, but creative. I'll give them that. But their candy sweets, that area of Fair Luke, they're better. It's better, dude. It's way better. Like, yeah, what did I bring home for my family? Mostly candy because it's way better. You know? No, it's good. That part, I like their candies. Their candies are pretty good. Obviously, their teas are good. Coffee. I had a couple bad spots of coffee, but then I had some good ones too. So the yeah. coffee was fine. But like, listen, the Brits just can't believe. That like they, they you know they this was the center of the universe. London was the center of the universe at one point, and it's still just a phenomenal world class city in every way. I mean, London is amazing, but uh, yeah, the Spanish and the French fuck you all up. I don't know how else to tell you. Like they're just much better at it than you guys yeah, are. Like there's not a lot of variety of toothpaste offerings either. Did you notice that in the convenience stores? Luke? Okay, we do we doing some Jerry Seinfeld airplane food bits. <laughs> with that what we doing here? All right, from Sebastian Hackle, who's apparently verified. Oh, dude, that's, I'll tell you who that is real quick, okay? Who is that? Uh, he's the German voice of WWE and, and, a, and a pro wrestler, and he's the Joe Rogan of Germany. He calls pay-per-view, I, I think I got this right, he calls UFC pay-per-view fights in, in the German language and is like the key go-to color commentary guy, and a big fan yeah. of this show, Luke, okay? You see, I gotta tell you, I've been to Berlin, Berlin, world-class city, amazing oh, yeah. city, oh, yeah. amazing city. I would love um, to visit. I'd love to visit with Sebastian Hackle, and maybe we can go yeah. see that. So how, he goes, how about an MK show in Germany? Well, we haven't even really had a good one in the States. <laughs> we need to have one here. For, the we best show we've ever done yeah. is like nowhere near here. It was across the fucking water. What do you think, BC? All right. I, this discussion is probably better served after people watch the live show and they can get a feel for themselves if we've got something here. But, you know, we did a receiving line afterwards. It was like when you get married and then, you, you know, everyone out there comes one by one and they hug you and th- shout out to our great fans. And there's some, you know, there's some, there's, there's a weird, there's a wide variety of fans that we have, but I love them all, Luke, and this dysfunctional family. Dude, everybody came up to us and was like, if you reproduce this in say, you know, Ireland or, or wherever, where the passion is just as big. I mean, you guys could do this on a regular basis. Luke, that takes a lot of ambition, money, all that stuff. I don't know what our future with this is, but I'll tell you this, that that live show from what you and I were expecting from the things that made us nervous potentially about it turned out to be a 10 out of 10. That's like in that moment, we gave the best show we possibly could. Shout out to the venue, the team, our extended team, everything that made it great. The fans, it made it great. I think we can do that bigger and better a lot more times over. So can we pair that up with big events? Is there going to be a budget for it? I don't know those answers. Look, all I can do is sit in front of this camera and talk into this microphone. But I'll tell you, you know, all my crazy ideas, Luke, they're unending. There's a lot of them. All right. You want to people you were telling go us to- there. People were telling us there we could take a show to Dublin and do well. And I believe that. I really believe that. 
You want to go to Berlin with Sebastian Hackel, Luke? I'll go there with you, okay? You want to go to uh, Marietta? We'll yeah, call yeah. Russell and his wife down. I'll go there with you, okay? We're, you want to do another MK Live show? Look, we can we can stop doing this show three days a week and just make it a traveling circus if you want. Yeah, I don't want to do that. But uh, yeah. I do want to do more live shows, just not okay. next in Germany. How about Bangkok? Um, you got any interest in that? I got a lot of interest in Bangkok. <laughs> You're too gross, POS. Wow. Yeah, great timing, Gaff in Long Island. Luke, thank you for dropping that. Uh, that is it for DMs, BC. It's time for uh, BC's feces. Yeah, I didn't have much time at the airport oh, yesterday. Vaping is for closers. Dude, I bought you- this. This is a true story. I bought this the morning after the... I haven't had a vape in a while, but I, uh, I, I bought this the morning after the live show, BC. Yes. And I bought this in London, and... Um, and uh, I'm addicted again, so that's fine. Well, I will say this. The next morning after our live show, or maybe it was later that night. I don't know. I was whenever the best I mood saw, ever. Whenever I saw you for the, yeah, the next morning possibly, or maybe later that night, I saw you for the first time in a while, and you were like, motherfucker, get over here. And you were like, don't you dare say a fucking word about this. And you held up your vape stick, and you were like, <laughs> vaping is for closers, bitch. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> That's pretty, pretty, pretty brilliantly delivered. I can't really argue with that because the town where I come from, that's the case, Luke. Okay, that is the case. So, um, you know, hopefully you can work your way out of this, but take your victory lap because uh, you yeah. deserve it, Luke. Well Thanks, done on bro. that show. You too. Thank you. All right, I scoured right. the globe. You know the deal. Highs and lows, good, bad, ugly in between. Combat sports and beyond. It is. Have you seen the show? BC's feces, baby. Yo, BC had to take some... No, we shouldn't say that, Luke. But after that 10-hour flight from London to Dallas, dude, yeah. They know me now in that airport. I'll tell you that much, Luke, okay? Yep. You couldn't go on the plane? I'm not going in that closet. What are you kidding me, Luke? I am holding that like it's third grade. They got bitter at me, but I just did it anyway. I went to the bathroom in first class. And you know know how they try to wall it off with like the... It's, yes. I was just I just zipped it right open and I was like I'm gonna go in the big old shitter. And How do you first, fit in that commode? How do you do? No, that? no, no. Do the first class bathroom? You can walk around like it's a it's a walk in closet. Like it's. I have huge. not seen this. What are you talking about? I have not seen this first class. bathroom. So I took Virgin. Who did you fly? I flew American. Well, British on the way over, American on the way back. So I flew uh, Virgin Atlantic both ways. By the way, shouts to Virgin Atlantic. Great flight, by the way. Great, great planes. But uh, if you get in, the left is all like once you walk into the you know, on the on the jetway or whatever. On the left is all the first class like beds or whatever, and then there was premium, then economy for the peasants in the back. Your boy had to pay out of his pocket to put himself in premium, which I did, uh, but I couldn't afford first class. It was way too much money. But the first class at the at the back of their cabin, you know, what I'm talking when you run in, you go right for yours, left for first class. There's a little, uh, I should say, just to the left. There's a first class bathroom right there, and they forgot to close the thing fully. So I kind of opened it the whole way, and then I went into their first class bathroom. Dude, it was, you could have fit four or five people in there. I mean, I couldn't believe how big it was. It was shocking. Wow. So I just used that one. Did you have enough room to, to become a solo member of the Mile High Club? <laughs> You mean did I did I rub one out in the air? Okay, okay. We 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 don't want to get fired now. Not before we take it to Bangkok. Luke. Let's the get answer fired is there. no. Uh, I just I just watched I watched uh, everything everywhere all at once and a couple other things. It was great. All right, great. Uh, Luke, let's start UFC two eighty four from Perth. All right. Did you see Tyson Pedro kick Mo, my Lithuanian brethren Modestus Bukalkis right in the dong? Yeah, right in the old 
ball Yikes. bag. Oh, Dude, that's just. not even like fooling around. That's like I'm going to demand you right here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's just this is how they perform uh well, I'm not even going to say that. I don't Castration? Know that, yeah, that's the yeah. first step. All right, let's keep it going. Hey, Featherweight, how do you say this guy's name? Joshua Kulabau? Kulabau, I think, yeah. Um, Kulabau. Oh, you're right. I'll, I'll get to that one next, Gaff. Sorry about that interruption there. Let's stay here. Featherweight Joshua Kulabau describes uh, a, a ball game he used to play growing up. Luke, let's see if you had the same upbringing. Oh, with the spinning wheel kick to the nuts, how badly were you hurt? Uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty bad, you know. It's like one of those ones where you just got to sort of figure out if they're still there, you know what I mean? Listen, you're allowed to take five minutes. You only took two. And in between rounds, you were saying to your corner that you couldn't breathe. Yeah, man, like I said, like, you've ever been, you know, you've been hitting the nuts before, and it like, feels like, you know, that's a game we play when we grow up where you get smacked in the nuts and it just sort of feels like comes up, so, yeah. I think we've all been there once or twice. Now, the second round started. Clearly a tough first round. Your nose was bust up. A lot of blood. Second round starts. Uh, Luke? Yeah, we, we we can call it here, yeah. Have you have you played that game growing up? We used to call it Sack Whack. You ever played <laughs> Sack Whack? Sack Whack? What are you, where, where did you grow up, dude? I so mean, here's, what, here's, what we would, here's what we would do. Sack Whack is not just, uh, you know, I'm going to run up and kick you in the balls as hard as I can. It's like real subtle and shifty. So, for example, we'd be like, uh, let's say we're just standing in line at, like, I don't know, a fucking fast food restaurant, whatever. And the person's next to you, like, out of nowhere, you just go, bah, right into the ball sack. And you hit them right there, and then they drop. We used to do that shit all the time. Yeah, that wasn't a part of my upbringing. We tried to protect the jewels. But all, any good friend of mine who's listening to this, Bogus, you know it. At, the 06, at 06, 2006, I went to a Pearl Jam concert, Luke, on the avocado tour, and it was incredible. And... Somebody accidentally hit me in the nuts, and then I spent the rest of the night punching all of my friends in the nuts as hard as I could. But that was very drunken and, and regrettable. Okay, very, very drunk. I don't, I don't regret sack whack. Uh, that was the only sack whack. All right, I meant to play this clip earlier, but let let's throw it here. So they announced, you know, Jose Aldo's going into the UFC Hall of Fame this year. We already knew that. Saturday night they made the announcement that former lightweight champion, the inaugural one, initially called bantamweight, of course, for the UFC, but just an all around veteran and, and one of the greats. Jens Pulver got the call and you saw on the broadcast when they put in the corner of the screen what what must have been what like a live twitch thing he was doing mm -hmm. during the show mm -hmm. let's go to the actual audio of him finding out in the moment he's a hall of famer wait who are we talking about now isn't Aldo again or shut the fuck up oh what? shut the fuck oh! up are you oh dude shut up are you serious wow let's go What? Wow. No way. No way. No way. No way. Oh my god, are you serious? No way. Oh. No way. No way. No way. No way. Oh. Yeah, you lied. We you can... lied big time. You lied big time. Oh man, <laughs> oh. are you serious? This is this isn't real. This is awesome.
Mm. Luke, I want to say one thing and I'll throw it to you. I apologize for the times that I criticized the UFC Hall of Fame because this, you know, the standard, the criteria can flow. There's no physical building. You know, I get all that. I make, hey, 11 and 7, Matt Sarah got in on the first ballot. Whatever. That That's how it should be, that moment right there. Damn, Jens Pulver. Yeah, that like, was a great moment. I mean, there are the criticisms of the UFC Hall of Fame, I don't think change. I mean, you know, the UFC just wants to run the entire industry and therefore have what it says is are, are the best. Um, under its own under its own view of things and and I just feel like it'd be better if there was something independent but to be clear like just because it's the UFC side of things doesn't mean there's not value to it right and in the case of giving Jens Pulver a place among his history in the sport a revered place in history I think is very appropriate I'm glad they did it and um, folks sleep on little evil man like first UFC lightweight champ he was part of that whole team out of Bettendorf, Iowa, the Militich fighting systems. He was one of the early guys out of there. It was just dude. They had they, hella sparring, hella dude, they, sparring. They just you know they were they were they were animals out there, and maybe not for their own benefit in certain ways, long term for their health. But you know he he managed to work through it, and um, you know he had some great wins as well. He had some big losses too. But I think what folks forget is you know Jens Pulver wasn't just a pioneer in early MMA for the lighter weight classes. He eventually did time in WEC. Yeah. And one of the real first big fights they did to build Faber's name was Faber versus Pulver and they did a great job promoting that contest and that really helped the legend of Uriah Faber as well. Everyone feels like like you know Uriah Faber was in a big fight against Aldo and then lost and he's had some other big ones but when you think about some of his bigger wins maybe the first Cruz fight um, and then certainly beating Jens Pulver in terms of what made his name, that was big. And of course, I'm saying I'm talking about a fight that Pulver lost, but I'm trying to point out winning or losing. Yeah. Here was a guy that got the world to notice lighter weight fighting, and he did it from UFC to WEC. He even fought Takanori Gomi in Pride for a little while. Like <coughs> he did a lot of great things to make the lighter weight guys what they are today absolutely deserved in the hall of fame zero question about it i'm glad you made that mention about when he when he made that late run in the wc and you know he wasn't the same guy but it was like he got to fight the the rising con- the first batch in a lot of ways of that next generation of smaller weight class stars that became faber aldo dominic cruz all it's cowboy all those guys that you know ended up in the merge into the ufc but when they showed that footage in the highlight package after he was announced of when he got on the microphone, I don't know if it was after the first or second pen fight, but he got on the microphone and was like, you know, we had a fight for this, for like small weight classes to be a thing. You know what I mean? And like, and, and we want, we're hoping that this fight shows you that. I mean, th- think about where it was in MMA at that point of the idea of UFC like. UFC had gotten rid of their lightweight division after Pulver had beaten Penn the first time. They got, they just scrapped the whole fucking thing. So like, here was a guy when they brought it back, he was on tough five and like he had BJ in, in that fight again. Like. This guy has been at the center of lighter weight fighting sure. from the word go, from the word go. Um, and then he had that, that, what did he have, that knockout in under 10 seconds? And to find out on that video package, he was so injured coming in and he took it anyway. I mean, just like, you know, the old Wild West. But, dude, he left his mark in a pioneering way. And that reaction is just like, that's what it's about, man, you know? Good for him. Glad for Jens Pulver to get some recognition. Absolutely. Um, uh, let's take it back to Perth here, Luke. This was some of the pre-fight promotional stuff. Did you see Dominic Cruz hug this, uh, what is this, a wallaby, a sloth? What the, what the hell do you call this Australian beast here? This is great. That's a koala. Koala bear. I'm sorry, Luke. I'm, d- I'm down on my animals here. Dude, do you know about koala? So a buddy of mine who was Australian told me this. He said that koala bears, almost all of them have like a really bad case of chlamydia. And... Um, 
like, which like I, I I'm not sh- so they're all diseased, but the other part is like they're they're eating eucalyptus and like all day long, and I'm apparently that how did how did he explain this that between the disease and how they eat, it slows everything down in their in their body. And that's why they're like halfway drugged and moving slow all the time. It's apparently I, I'm fucking the story up. Actually, I should, probably should have kept. Wait, it, but. so they have STDs? They're drugged and they move slowly. That I'll, unfortunately, I'll, I'll ask him. You know, I'll ask him what he what it was about them. But there's something about them, either through the chlamydia or the way that they eat and what they eat that that makes them just high all day. They're just fucking well, that, high that, all the time. I was going to say, up to that point, you've made a sad description of most of our fan base, and I think you're still going with it, Luke, but shout out to them. Um, Look, quickly on the point I made, here's my updated what I think is the best UFC pay-per-view team. I, I actually think Anik Cruz DC gives you everything you're looking for. At this moment, Luke, what is your what is your best three that they can offer? Anik Felder and... Um... Honestly, I'm going to say Sanko. People are going to think that's blasphemy, but... You have said that before. Yeah, you have said that before. She does more homework than it looks like her male competitors or her colleagues combined. So it shows when she talks. Um, I just think you still need one personality. And I think whether we're talking DC, Rogan, sometimes Bisping, although he can do breakdowns and be a personality, I just still think DC... When not paired with Rogan, where it becomes too much of a watch-along, is still the guy, Luke. But that's my general opinion, not yours. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. That's great. All right. Hey, let's keep it going here, Luke. Did you see featherweight Shane Young? He went all Gene Simmons-like during the weigh-in opposite Blake Builder? Yeah. Where do you think that's, that tongue has been? Look at that. I think that's Maori shit, man. Yeah, that's intense as shit right there. Wow, Shane Young. He didn't win the fight, Luke, but he did win the, the face-off. Uh, let's keep it going. A lot of celebrities in attendance at Perth, including Robert Whitaker, uh, the drum- Chad Smith, the drummer of the... Red Hot Chili Peppers, and also these two prime spokesmen, Logan Paul and KSI. Look at them reacting to Volkanovsky's fifth round rally, Luke. They look well hydrated. From drinking prime? Yeah, yeah absolutely. There you go. All right. We'll keep that going. Uh, let's keep it going here on the flyweight division. Did you see Cladeson Rodriguez at this first round finish of Shannon Ross early Rodriguez. on? Yeah, probably. Dude, if he would have connected with that spinny shit, you see him, he hit him with a, a spinning ass. Did you see that? He did hit him with a spinning hamstring. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, it was like a spinning ass crack. That's an interesting move. If he would have hit that kick, though, the fight would have been over. Wow. Yeah, this this dude got overwhelmed. I mean. Yeah, that guy's a pocket rocket right there. That's fantastic. Let's go to <laughs> one of my favorite fighters, Luke Lomo, Luke Boomy. You know, she's yeah. known. F- Thailand, Thailand's own. She's known as a striker, but look at her get this submission win over Elise Reed in the second round, and look at the celebration. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, she's out. She's with the Hickman brothers out of Bengtow MMA. Um, Danny Rube product as well. Danny Rube product. That's right. Shout out to Danny Rube, one of the good managers in the sport. Yep, Danny Rubenstein. I'm sorry about that hairline joke I made one time. Former wrestler at Oklahoma, Luke. Remember yeah, that. He'll okay? let you know about it too. He'll let you know about that too. All right. Hey, how about some wholesome shit from Yair Rodriguez and his family? This was the pre fight blessing he received from his mother, Cage Side, before entering. And it just, it was profound, Luke. Yeah, this is, uh, reminds me of my wife putting Tuki to bed with the amount of crosses that she gives to Tuki before she got like, like that. See, like that. Love it. My, my, my wife does that to Tuki all the time. They do like a prayer every night, and it's, like it's long and complicated. The whole thing's in Spanish. You know, it's a thing. What's that Colombian uh, toast we always do? Like, abariba, 
Vederche. Parriba, pabajo, el centro, para dentro. Up, yeah. down, inside, back. Love it. Love it. Well, Luke, you know Yair got a big win. Here's the celebration between son, mom, and pops afterwards. Again, it touched me. Look at dad, bro. Look at dad. Look at dad. Look at that gaucho, Luke. Right? Wow. Uh, he's not gaucho. He's Mexican. So oh, he's so not that's gaucho. Not, so is that not a universal cowboy name? It's only Argentinians? I'm pretty sure it's only Argentinians. Again, let me be very clear. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure it, the right. gaucho is specifically Argentinian. Mr. Rodriguez, your son is now a world champion. I love that moment right there. All right. Uh, yeah, you're also, Luke, initially after landing that triangle on Josh Emmett. Did you see him? He was almost like counseling Josh not to be upset with the defeat. This was classy. Like he didn't want wow. Josh's heart to break. I actually dude. never noticed this. I guess I was too busy tweeting at the time. Twerking too. Dude, dude, that's that's classy. It was almost like he wanted Josh not to be upset to know that he's he's championship worthy. I like that. All right? Yeah. All right. Wow. Well, it was that such is, a big that's win. All, all class. That Real went on to recognize Real as Islam Mahachev crashed Yair's post-fight interview. Could you imagine a fight between these two one day? No? <sighs> Dude, any fight with Yair with somebody who's in a reasonably close weight class, that's a tough-ass fight, you know? Damn right. Good to see that. Hey, let's go to San Antonio for some Showtime boxing. You mentioned heavyweight Lenier Perro from Cuba. Luke, he was losing this fight against Victor Faust. And the big part of that was that left hook left there to end hand. round three. Dude, but Dude. The, are you gonna show? Are you gonna show the stoppage here? The stoppage is so yes, weird. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. But look at the way the head bounced on that one. Damn. And by the way, I I could never get a right pronunciation on his name. Is it Lenier or Lanier or how, how do you say Lenier, it? It's Lenier. Lenier. The opponent, then, his brother by the is way, Danier. Danier. I I don't know the brother's pronunciation. The brother that you called the fight, Luke, had beaten Victor Faust in the amateurs. And do you know Faust was the guy who was in that war with Kaladzi where they were down like five times? No, that's him? I didn't yeah, know Yeah, that. that's him. And so he was winning this fight. He was hurting Pero. Let's fast forward to round eight. Kind of a bizarre finish here. So he jabs him up. Body shot. And watch, watch Victor. He's like, yeah, fuck this. I'm done. Yeah. He can't move. So it looked to me he took a right to the ribs and just couldn't. He couldn't. He didn't collapse, BC, but he couldn't move. Everything was shut right there. At, do we have another angle of it? I don't think we do, although if, if we did, that would be shot by Matt Ryle, Luke, so it could be a shaky angle. You never Show know. Show it one more low. time. It looks like he just quits or just stops boxing, but when they showed the replay, he gets hit in the ribs, and it sent a shockwave through him. Let's watch yeah. it one more time here. Watch watch the ribs of right there, right there. That left that left hand, or what it was, the right hand to the ribs, he just stops moving. He can't He can't move anymore. That's how hard that punch was. Now, that referee, Rafael Ramos, they did not. The commission would not allow me to interview afterwards. Luckily, you know, he got it right in the end. But just so you know, under boxing rules, when Faust turned his back almost completely to the action, that's kind of where you should just wave off the fight. That's, that's the telltale sign that they're not defending themselves. Now, Perro landed two shots. Luckily, they didn't knock him cold or anything, but... Interesting finish right there. Luke, let's go to the undercard with you on the call. Here's Claudio Marrero scoring a vicious body shot to score the knockdown over this guy. Talk, tell me about this. Yeah. Oh, my God. So there's that left to the body. He was obviously it's a Southpaw versus Orthodox, and he was going to the body every time he was waiting. Look at him switching sides here. He was waiting for basically he basically he kept taking angles 
on, I think this was what, Fuenzalida out of Chile, memory yeah. serves. Fuenzalida takes a knee here, but you can just watch Claudio Moreto out of Dominican Republic taking angles on him constantly, then getting Fuenzalida to open up and then just punishing it right there. Ooh. He gets him to open up with that right hand and then just drives it underneath the, the elbow. Just uh, it took him, took him a few rounds to get going, BC. He actually ate some punches along the way, but once he started cooking, look at this. And Fuenzalida was trying to be a pressure guy and was just running into punches over and over and over again. Yeah, Marrero, former champion, he bounced back here nicely. Luke Thomas on the call. And finally, Luke, here's just a little highlight of Oshaki Foster turning defense into offense against Ray Vargas in that, in that very strong performance to win a world title. Yeah, he does the Philly shell, kind of rolls with it. Uppercut to the ribs. Left hook. Love it. I mean, he keeps such a close range and doesn't and isn't made to pay for it in this fight. I mean, very slick fighter. Very, very well done Super there. Super slick. All right, you know who had a boxing debut this weekend, Luke, on UFC Fight Pass? It was Jose Aldo, and he took home a sixth-round unanimous decision over Alberto Zambrano. Here's a little bit of the highlights. Your thoughts? I hadn't seen this. That's a nice right hand. But, you know, he's fighting who? I mean, who is this guy he's fighting? I don't know. But did you hear the rumors that... Floyd Mayweather might be interested in a real, like, a real exhibition, I guess you can call it. No, sorry, a real boxing fight against Jose Aldo, not an exhibition. Hey, listen, if Jose can get paid, I don't really care. I mean, that's okay. good for him, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right. Hey, uh, remember when Anthony and he Smith can, was... And then he can, have, uh, he can have disgraced South American politicians stay in his Orlando home some more. Why wouldn't he? Uh, Luke, remember Anthony Smith shared his love for the slap league over the internet and everybody got mad at him, even though he's a friend of the program? Nate yeah. Diaz took uh, took exception to this many days later, but here's the tweet. <laughs> I mean, that's not fair. That's I mean, come on, Nate, right? Okay, maybe all right. Well, you know what, Nate is. Uh, I don't agree. I don't agree. But that's you know, this all is right. MMA, dude. People say crazy ass shit. A lot of journalists made the trip. Oscar Willis was one of them, Luke, to Perth, and here how he here's how he caught the girth of Bruce Buffer warming up in Perth. This is how Bruce gets loose. For the big time calls, Luke, your thoughts. This is actually how I urinate at standing urinals. <laughs> uh, well, they, these weren't the only stars of MMA this week. I know Volkanovski had a big fight against Mahachev, but did you see that sparring match in the metaverse between At Zuck and Volkanovski, Luke? Did you who see this give, bullshit? Who, I mean, who could give a shit less? I mean, th- dude, tell me this like doesn't Zuckerberg, have... Zuckerberg, I don't give a shit who, what famous person... You pay to be near you. You're not cool. I just want to be very clear about that. Dude, this has huge John DePont vibes. And I hate saying that out loud because it's it's gnarly, but, you know, it's dark. But this is like Foxcatcher all over again, right, Luke? I don't know about Foxcatcher, but it's like this dork who, you know, just, I mean... And this to, say nothing, reading- to say nothing of the evils that Facebook has done to the world, just putting that aside, it's just a rich nerd who is using whatever his power to otherwise escape what would be his you know future yo look at that kip up from at zuck though that was that was pretty cool right yeah that's great i did you see chatri tweet at him and be like we should we should spar together in, oh, in philippines he, yeah dude or, the, the, the amount the thirstiness of people dude it, it doesn't matter it's like hey this guy is uh wanted by the law in name some country for uh, putting orphans in an orphan grinder machine. Yeah, but he that- drives a Bugatti and, uh, you know, he lives on a yacht. Anyone in MMA will try to be friends with him. It's like, but yeah, but he puts orphans in the orphan grinding machine. And you're like, yeah, but he's real rich and powerful, so we're just going to be First cool of all, with him. 
that sounds like the name of the newest Cannibal Corpse album. And second of all, that wasn't Zuck you were saying, but I get your point. Ad Zuck is, you know, he does have access to your emails and DMs, I'm sure, Luke. Okay, so be yeah, careful. I mean, I don't think I'm much of a threat to Zuckerberg, but, um, you know, everyone in MMA deciding that. All, dude, the, the problem is they just lecture you all the time about how the tech, big tech is coming to get you. And then this guy is walking big tech. And then all of a sudden, we're supposed to be friends with him. Make up your minds, people. Either big boy, tech is a problem or it's not. Tell your boy Volk. What are you doing, bro? you got a fight to prepare for. Don't be rolling yeah, exactly. around. What are, you, what are you doing playing grab ass with this fucking nerd for? Wow, in the park. That's unbelievable. All right, let's let's rate that tat, Luke. Some people love their dogs so much, and now I get it. I'm a, you know, I'm five years into being a first-time dog owner. I get it. How about this, Luke? Uh, that is extremely well done. Yeah, that's a superb tattoo. Now, again, you can take issue with... The uh, like, would you want this material on your arm and does it make a coherent whole? But in terms of the technical application, tattooing doesn't come yeah. much better. That's, that's it took acceptable. me a long time to understand the technical application. I think you've done a decent job explaining that outside of your just blatant disrespect for Mr. Hebos's heart. But this is very good, and I don't think I would it's a little been able weird to... that he goes from like Egyptian hieroglyphics to like Japanese like almost shogun imagery or with the Hanya mask there. That's a little strange. It's a little bit of a confused mixture, but uh, it is a well-done tattoo. Yeah, well, indeed. All right. Hey, there's a new dinner toast, Luke, instead of the Ariba Bahaha, Havishav Incorporated. Bow, 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 bow. We're doing Laverne do and Shirley. It. Dude, it's just yeah, that's a, a, Ariba that's a deep, up, that's a, Abajo. That's a deep down. pull. Uh, would you consider dropping the Colombian one and adding this one to our repertoire on the road? No, I don't. I don't. Um, people just shove shit in your hands. I guess that's a joke. I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of cool, but we got enough random fails to keep this going here. Luke, yeah, this let's is go stupid. To, let's go to Costco here. Maybe this fail will bring you back in on this segment. Try taking my boyfriend grocery shopping and this happened. Yeah, well, don't I mean, dude. First of all, you're dating Logan Paul, so that's why. Yeah. First of all, you spread your legs for this guy. Wow. OK, OK, um, look, that's that's, a, that's a, all right. <laughs> Hey, let's go to the parkour course, all right? <laughs> I don't know if fat guys should be doing parkour. Luke, what do you think? Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> hefty. Uh, we got to make some calls here. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, I'm not one to make a big claim about what you should and shouldn't eat. But if you are going to eat those things, maybe pile driving yourself into fucking cement is not the best idea. Yeah. All right, we got more fails. Let's bring this thing home here, Luke. That was a Darwin ever- Award almost. You ever try doing like, you know, TikTok trends with your wife, Luke? No. Oh. All right. Well, this couple did. She's going to go head face first, isn't she? Yep. You fucking dumbass. Yep. Take a ticket. Take, take an L there, too. You fucking idiot. <laughs> All right. Hey, hey, let's hey go- guys, we're going to be we're going to have fun on TikTok. Yeah. Keep ruining your landlord's fucking furniture, morons. Oh. All right, there we go. Hey, as a son of a landlord, you're allowed to say that. Uh, shout out to that Las Vegas property. Luke, you know what What always wins on this show? Old guys and punch machines. They combine for greatness, you know? Okay, uh, is he going to throw his shoulder out? What's he going to do here? Yep, look at this old <laughs> piece of shit. Just. Just. Uh, just Luke, look at this. We got to protect old guys from elder abuse, and we got to protect BBLs, especially those of the Instagramming kind on the beach. I do love them. Yeah, put that ass in the air. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Dude, I told you this. So we go to this uh we go to this place in 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 Colombia when we go to the beach 
in Cartagena and it has this uh, pool that's like elevated and it's an infinity pool, right? So the water spills over the edge and you can put your arms on it. It's, you can watch the sunset. It's beautiful, right? It's amazing. And every time it's golden hour where the sun is coming down in the distance, dude, you can see all of the TikTok and Instagram folks. In particular, I'm just going to be honest. I'm just going to put it out there. The, the, the women, and they all have these like gross fat dudes who take pictures of them. They all get to the edge of the infinity pool when the sun is coming down, and then they all stick their ass in the air to take pictures. And I got to say, it's the best time of the day every day in Colombia. I just want to point that out. Golden Hour. Isn't there a podcast with that same name, Luke? Uh, oh, yeah. The Brendan Shop's new podcast. That's right, right? Yeah. I think that's the Golden Hour, right? Yeah. Big feud between Hallmark Harley and him right now. I don't know what's going to happen with that, Luke. But let's keep it going here. There's some dumpster diving. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that's wasted wasted uh, yep wasted indeed yep there it is her Somebody friend her friend, a- her friend is looking at her like this is definitely not the first time you've done this yes Somebody threw away a perfectly good white girl, Luke, unfortunately. There you go. All right. Let's keep it moving here. Let's go to the, uh, <laughs> you ever climb a fence, Luke, and have, uh, I've been offensive. I- I'm not much for climbing fences, though. Oh, wrong clip. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, keep walking shoeless in the New York City subways, you diseased POS. I was going to ask you, what what do you think she has acquired from this walk? 100% she has full-blown AIDS. I mean, okay, that's a, right, you can start right, right get, there. You yeah, let's get right out there. of here. Let's keep it moving. Let's go over now to the uh, to the, to the the uh, climb in the fence bid. We're almost done here. All right. Thanks to the guys in the back. Here we go. Yeah, that didn't work out well. That, did this that's idiot her, give himself a wedgie? Yes, he did. That looks like New York City, too, is it? Uh, it might be. Honestly, that could be D.C., too, based on the... Yeah, that hurts. Wow. That guy's grundle or the you know his his uh <laughs> wow. <laughs> I guess I guess he fumbled somehow on the way to go pick up his acceptance application from MIT, right? Yeah, that must be <laughs> that, that must would be where be he was. Oh, uh, Luke, we haven't had a testify in a while. So let's go to regional MMA and see what they can give you. For those in the back of the congregation. Boo! Uh not quite a full testifying, but pretty close. Pretty close indeed. That's vicious stuff right there. That's the left wow. hook. Yeah. All right. Three more on the way out here. Let's see if they entertain you at all. What do we got? What do we got? What a great show we've given the fans today, you know? Wow, that's fast and furious. (laughs) Wait. So the hydraulics on the car as the white girl tries to twerk, it's just like, yo, get the fuck up off me. Yep. Yep. Uh, Keep it moving, please. Uh, Luke, I I didn't try the hot dogs in Great Britain because I'm, you know, I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying a little you bit. You didn't want to die. Protect my liver, but this turtle, this turtle didn't care. That's like an alligator snapping turtle. <laughs> Dude, he he <laughs> ate that almost as aggressively as the bear that out ate Kobayashi in that in that Fox Man versus Beast show from like 2002. You remember that? Great. I was going to say theater? this looks this looks a lot like you at Cumberland Farms. Yeah, very close, very close. And then finally we got one more. I forgot what it was. You know, I, what do we got here? All right. Oh, here we go. Hey, look, check out this carnival move. Oh boy. Yeah. Um Not bad. I don't know. Should I be aroused or or afraid when I see that, Luke. Yeah, she didn't quite stick the landing. She just kind of bounced off of her. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. uh, 
Also, it just looks like she's in the van down by the river. I mean, yeah. plywood everywhere. And... Thank you to the respected Instagram handle of at public stalker for bringing us this. That's your shit of the week. I hope you have seen it. Thank you. Uh, BC, that is it for us. Any final thoughts? Uh, great show. Great to be back. And I can't tell you guys enough. The live show's coming. All right. We got some great. Look, can we share who we interviewed? Yeah, we already shared it. Dude, we talked to, we sat down with Arnold Allen, Paul Kerning. M V Pizzle. Okay. We got some great ones coming out of the UK very soon. Yeah, and by the way, Paul Craig doesn't mind it when we call him Paul Craig. So you can stop worrying about us yeah. calling him Paul Craig. In fact, did you see Paul Craig on Instagram wearing our merch? I did see that. Yeah, we gave him some merch and uh he wore it today to the he's a big golfer, which we talk about, and he went he wore it to the golf course. Big fan of Paul Craig in these parts so thank you very much thank you to all of the uk thank you to those who came out i mean what a time you'll see the video thank you luke but now you know as always we got to move to what's next what's the next hill you want to climb anything well let's see we have obviously ufc this weekend we're not traveling well you're traveling again this week because you're an idiot um so you have to go do that but i think we as a team we are going to be in studio next week i think that's right not this week but next and then uh, March 25th, I think we're traveling for Las Vegas. Caleb Las Plant, Vegas. David Benavides. Hell yeah, on Showtime pay-per-view. Can't wait. Like you mentioned, I'll be this week in Topeka, Kansas for Friday night Showbox uh, card, which you can only get on Showtime. And if you want 30 days free, I think we still offer that. Yeah, there you go. Free trial at Showtime.com. Come hang out with BC as I continue to add miles and uh, separation from my family, Luke, all in the interest of checks, of you know, <laughs> of, uh, of accomplishing, of, 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 you know, yeah, there you I've go. seen hey, those checks. They're nice. They're nice checks. So I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. Uh, let's remind everyone showtime.com label that pays. You can go to showtime.com, get a 30 day free trial. If you'd like it, you can keep it. If not, you can, you know, bounce. I just said that, right? You know, like I literally just said that. I know, but I like to be formal with it. I have a process. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we already saw the merch. We can skip that. Um, oh yeah, morningcombat at gmail.com to reach the show for fan subs and dead wrong. That's the thing. There is no Wednesday show this week. I know that's going to sound like blasphemy, but BC and I need a break. Uh, so we're going to get a break. So, so what we are going to do is we are going to have something to fill that slot. We're working out what that is now, um, but we're going to have something good for you guys. 11 a.m. in the East on Wednesday. And of course we're back on Friday. We'll and, and could we Friday. say it, it might be the live show if it's, if it's, when it's ready when it's ready luke okay that's right it could be the live show it may not be we'll have to see but um it'll be something good either way right so yeah it'll be fun all right bc great job hey want to thank all of the people at showtime and malka and cbs mikey was with us in london there were some showtime folks that were with us with courtney and uh, matt and as well as some malka folks who made it out there as well they all did a bang up first rate job everyone worked together we had a good plan and we executed it so let's make sure to thank all of those folks from Showtime, Malka, and CBS Sports who uh, helped us make that just a magical evening and experience. In and when I, when I got out of the car at the hotel in San Antonio Friday night, Gaff Pierre standing right there, my man, filthy Phil, right behind him, Luke. It's wow. just, you know, wherever we go, there, there we are. Yeah, and they, they've got our back. So thank you, Malka. Thank you, CBS Sports. And thank you, Showtime. Thank you to everyone who watched today. Thank you to everyone who was in the crowd in London. Thanks to everyone who supports the MK. We're done for the day. Enjoy your uh, time between now and Friday. We'll have something good for you on Wednesday. So for Brian Campbell and everyone else I just mentioned, I'm Luke Thomas. May all of your gains be loyal.